to Shelf by Genre, a show about types of literature and the worlds they imagine. This season, we're reading Gene Wolfe's The Book of the New Sun, and this episode is about chapters 10 through 19 of The Claw of the Conciliator. For a list of content warnings, please check the episode description. I am Cameron, and with me are the seventh generation prisoners, Michael and Austin. The Hello. summer of agency continues. Yeah. Does consuming the flesh memory of your ex shape how you write your own story? I'm just going to consume these delicious sweet treats and coffee. Do we not just uh, play the game of surrender when someone detains us, acting as if we have no <laughs> options when the magistrate asks us to come with them, when in fact a whole range of agency remains? Still aiming all my agency at the sweet treats and coffee. I Is think society I think, not uh, just some sort of prison built into the depths of an office complex? <laughs> I think bumblebees are as big as pigs. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me of the big bumble pig. You know, this is a wild. Uh, this was a wild reading to do because I was like, "Oh, we're going to talk about the Al, the Alzabo meal," like, and that's that's the big thing. And then two other big things <laughs> happen that are just different, and, and also just Gene goes off on some fantasy writing shit in the middle that is wild. So we got a lot to talk about today. There's a lot. Yes, there's a, a huge amount in this uh, episode, part episode, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Uh, and uh, I think that this might be, in terms of like pound for pound, wildest shit you read in these books, this might be the most dense cluster of that. We have opened Gene Wolfe's Monster Manual. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I like when the monsters start showing up, that's a part of this uh, series that is very, very special to me, perhaps unsurprisingly. Uh, but every time I read it, I am so surprised about how rapidly all of the little beasties show up. Like it just it's like a gate opens and then it just floods. Right. It's like a scene from Gremlins. Yeah. He was like, I'm going to give you a little bit more on this Alzabo creature. I'll give you a little fucked up dinner around around what it does. And that was it. Like the, the floodgates had opened. Gene could not stop writing about cool monsters from then, <laughs> then forward. Uh, what if there was a heat-seeking bat? Oh, 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 wait. What if there was a some sort of snuffleupagus that, that leaked slime <laughs> yeah. and uh, zooted all around in the dark all the time? Oh, what if there was like a, like a rich kid who was invisible and beat people up for fun? <laughs> Oh, what about big? What about big statue? Oh yeah, yeah. What, and what if they're all different? Ooh. <laughs> what about a, if a given giant was a boat? What if a giant from the, the shoulders up was was like a Civil War ironclad? What are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> Gene, give uh, me the pen. You can't write like this anymore. He's going. It, that's the best part too. Is it's so by, good. By this part, you know, in this. Area, he's like, I'm writing a trilogy. I know, I kind of know where it's going. I have a good sense of like where we we are. You know, if you know a little bit about, about the writing of the book, uh, by the midpoint of Claw the Conciliator, he has a sense of the whole thing. And what ends up happening is the third book gets split into two. So that's where, you know, if you buy the volume Sword and Citadel, which is books three and four, that was all supposed to be one book initially. Right. And that you, I mean, there's just something about that where he's like here in the middle of this book being like, that's right. We're, we're going to get there. We're going to get to the point where it's, you know, we'll get to the end. I have planned. Don't worry about it. Let's spend a long time in the drop ceiling prison. 
Also, Jonas. Also, oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. Jonas. The homie. He's the guy. Yeah. He's, he's him. Good. Jonas, Jonas is him. You know when they say he's him or I'm yeah. him? Jonas yeah. is him. Yes, he is him. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe unlike any other guy in genre literature, <laughs> he is his own dude. Singular. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I, I can't ask this question because I just don't know. Right? I haven't finished these books, so I don't know when we will hear or see of Jonas again. And that's exciting to me. This is the first real thing where I'm like revisiting it. Um, this is a really fun set of things to revisit because of what I do know from from the what I my the ongoing reading, um, including just stuff in this section. Like the lead up to the El Zabo meal is actually just mwah, perfect. Like on a second read through because of the things being said and done uh, on the lead up, like when when uh, Severian is like, uh, yeah, I knew your sister. And uh, I'll tell you just about everything that happened between us, knowing that the meal is coming. It makes that even sweeter. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but but realizing that, like, you know what? I don't know what's up with Jonas. Still. I don't well, I know. I know what's up with Jonas. but I don't know if Jonas returns in some form. So that's a that's a fun like mystery that, that I still have, uh, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me read the summary then, please. And then we can, uh, and then we can talk about all this stuff. <clears throat> I gotta scroll down. Okay, here I go. Every episode to do a little summary of what happens. This is not exhaustive, but it is enough to get you going to understand what we're talking about. If you're not reading the book along with us, which you do not have to do, um, this is the summary for this episode, which is episode six. Severian has dinner with Vodalus and Thecla. He is staring at Thecla too much. Nope, with Thea. Hold on. Beep, beep, beep. Doing a gene here. You're doing a Severian <laughs> here, actually. I am doing a Severian. I meant, I meant Thea. I mean, I guess he does have dinner with Thecla too. But uh, <clears throat> you can leave all this in, Jordo. <laughs> Severian has dinner with Vodalus and Thea. He's staring at Thea too much. Vodalus explains his desire uh, to be an anti-autarch, to restore the world of the past and put man back among the stars. Severian tells Vodalus that he has the claw, and Vodalus says that his masters would see him a traitor if he wielded it. He learns a little bit more about Jonas, who comments on Thea that, quote, those ancient families are the newest of all. In ancient times, there was nothing like them, end quote. Thea also explains that Vodalus's allies and masters who wait in the countries beneath the tides are a key source of power and strategy for the group. Thea also tells them of the analeptic Alzebo, a creature that can eat people and, for a short time, know their speech and ways. At an Alzebo using ceremony, Vodalus tells Severian that he is to rejoin Dr. Talos and enter the House Absolute to do a performance and also some spy work. Then they all eat the body of Thecla, whose flesh has been brought to Vodalus, and Severian experiences all of her memories. The next morning, after dreaming of Thecla, Severian reveals that he and Thecla are now the same person. Severian and Jonas prepare to head to the House Absolute, and Jonas reveals that he pretends to eat fairly often. On the way to the House Absolute, the two fellas are attacked by heat-seeking bats, and Severian prays to the new son that they will kill a random guy they meet on the road instead of our heroes. They do that. Severian feels bad and uses the claw to raise the guy from the dead. Then Hethor shows up. 
The formerly dead guy is very confused, and Hethor brought a guy named Buzek with him. Severian rides away from all of these people and determines with Jonas that they have stumbled on the House Absolute. Severian starts talking about Thecla's memories in the first person, and Jonas has to remind him that he is not Thecla. Severian sees a massive statue among the trees and gallops toward it on his destrier. Some guys in stealth camouflage arrest Severian and Jonas. They're taken into the gardens, where they see the theatrical troupe in front of them. So, uh, Dr. Talos and the others. They experience the wonder of the gardens, which make you feel like you are always at the center of them. He learns slash remembers that the House Absolute is underground, covered in stones and soil, meaning that they were in it for quite some time before they knew about it. They are then thrown into a vast, low-ceilinged room, a prison. Jonas is injured, and so some women take care of him, and Severian is interviewed by two elderly people who live in the prison. Jonas recovers and is immediately panicked by the idea of being consigned to the prison until his death. He also reveals that a family who asked him questions about the outside world were deeply misinformed about life outside the prison. They tell him that their ancestor is Kim Lee Sung, and Jonas asks if Severian knows of anyone by the name Kim Lee Sung, which was a common name when Jonas was younger. He then says that he served on the ship Fortunate Cloud. Then some creatures in green wielding electric weapons roam the room at night and torture the people there. Jonas is hurt by the green creatures, and Severian tries to help to heal him with the claw while he is sleeping. He learns that Jonas is mostly metal. He also talks to a little girl, and Thecla has a memory of using a scourge on the prisoners. Jonas wakes up and starts talking about the prison, noting, it, noting that it has a drop ceiling, and Jonas is in distress and says that he feels like he is waking up, which is worse than going insane. He tells a story of reading a history on the ship that he was on and then asking the ship for another book uh, about history. He remembers the hierarchies of the Middle Ages and claims that they have gone on too long. Then food is served. Severian learns that the prisoners are served pastries and coffee. An old woman explains that in a time before, the autarch would personally judge all crimes that occurred in the House Absolute and that this was simply a waiting room for that adjudication. Then Hathor shows up. Severian goes back to Jonas, who tells him that his ship returned to Earth and crashed because there was no dock to receive them. Jonas was also damaged, and he could only be repaired with flesh. Jolinta is the first woman he has loved. He says he's kind of back-to-back. -back. Knowing how stressed out Jonas is, Severian opens Thecla's little brown book, which he has been carrying since the beginning of the book uh, that we are reading, and reads Jonas the tale of the student and his son parts of which I do not understand, and other parts of which I cannot explain at this point in time. Severian goes to sleep and has a dream as Thecla in which he remembers the door that the tormentors come through. A young girl asks Severian where the woman went when he wakes up. She warns him of a black, snuffling thing in the dark. Autark Severian tells us, outside of the novel, that he has freed all the prisoners, even the ones who must be driven from the prison at Pike Point. Severian picks up Jonas, who has been covered in a thin slime, and takes him to the hidden door, leaving the prison. They enter into a room with panels, and Jonas tells Severian that they are on Earth. Severian realizes that Jonas is a machine man. Uh, Jonas says he wants to be sane and whole again, and says he will return for Jolinto when he accomplishes that. He steps into a circle of mirrors and disappears. Severian goes looking for Terminus Est, which the prison guards took from him before they put him in prison. He roams the hallways and claims to see the woman who was playing at being Thea in the House Missouri. A guy named Odolo shows up and thinks Severian is on a mission for Father Inire. 
They go rustling around in a closet for the sword and instead find Buzek, who was on the run from the House Absolute Guards. They don't find the sword. But Odalo leaves, and Severian thinks to try another closet. And that's all we read for this episode. Amidst all the monsters, I also really like that this chunk of reading gets uh, two instances of, and then suddenly a new strange person entered my field of vision. It was Heathor. (laughs) (laughs) Twice. (laughs) And both times, Severian goes, all right, I'll see you later. Or doesn't even really acknowledge him. He just just leaves. Like like, truly just fucks off. And the best part is in the prison when that's happening because it's just a big open, you know, I mean, it's a drop ceiling room. It's basically the worst church basement of your life. Life, I, right? mm-hmm. I must literally be that because when they look up above the the church, like the drop ceiling, they see like an old painted ceiling that mm-hmm. must be either a church ceiling or like a kindergarten classroom. But it's too big for that. So because it's like painted clouds and birds and stuff, you know, Well, it used to have it used to be a bunch of different rooms. Right. Which they, and they knocked right. all the walls down. Right. So it could have been a bunch of classrooms or something. Yeah. Which is the um, best part of Jonas being a man out of time is that he's looking at all the stuff and being like, bro. We are at the office complex. We are at the office <laughs> park. You need to understand. Severian, we got to get out of here. We got to take the fire escape. I'm. It's not that hard. <laughs> yeah, we got to go. But anyway. There's got to be a way out. There's got to be. <laughs> yeah. But so uh, anyway, so it's big and massive. And these like two elderly prisoners, they like kind of tell everyone where to go and sleep. You know, you get your own spot basically on the wall. And, uh, and, and Severian you know, in a single sentence rigs it so that Hathor is like all the way across this football field room from him. Uh, you know, it's uh, such a moment of like, I hate this guy so much. Get him, out him of my sleep view. somewhere else. Yeah. Go somewhere else. It's good. It's good. Him and Buzek. <laughs> Buzek the freak. <clears throat> the it, it, Sometimes you learn a character's name in passing. And you're like, I don't know why I'm learning this character's name. And then four chapters later, of course, that character's back. But why do right. I have to care about Heather's little freak friend? And the answer is, of course, because he's on the run in the house absolute. And you better be careful because the white wolves that hide in the alcoves and cubbies of it might get him. <laughs> yeah, that it is a rumor in the house absolute that the walls... Like it's like that episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where they uh, they're putting the cats in the walls to get the other cats out. It's like mm-hmm. that, but with yeah. like fantasy wolves, <laughs> and they just live in there. They just live in there like rats. It's scary. It's no good. Um, where do we? Uh, uh, weirdly enough, despite Hathor showing up twice in this reading, not a lot to say about him. <laughs> he doesn't Mm-mm. do anything. He literally is just there to be abandoned. Yeah. I mean, that's what makes it so funny is that both times he's introduced in the same formulation of and now a new figure entered. Oh, my gosh, (laughs) who's going to be? Oh, it's Heathor. Well, and the the thing that that he does is is blow up Severian's spot every time. Yeah, because Severian is, you know, almost always being like, I'm just a guy. I'm just I'm just a guy going from place to place. Please ignore my foliage and cloak. Um, And then Heathor is like, ah, it's my master, the member of the (laughs) of the Torturers Guild. And this is, I think, part of why he is so annoying to Severian is, you know, Severian uh, is already someone who draws too much attention as it Mm -hmm. is, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Well, yeah, let's break it off into kind of like three distinct, because I think there are, you know, there's uh, the Vodalus in the woods, Thea, Thecla, all that stuff. There is mm-hmm. the journey in between and the discovery of the House Absolute, which is one of the most delightful things in literature, I think. Like the 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 revelation of, you know, you can be in the House Absolute and not know it, you know, and you know, it's been really fun actually to see all the people uh, in the Discord and in various places where people talk about our show, like uh, who are reading the book for the first time, trying to puzzle out what that means. Um, mm-hmm. And then, I, so the revelation to me when I read the book the first time is really fun. That like it's everywhere because mm-hmm. it's like underground and like who knows where it ends. Um, uh, so we so there's that part, the entrance into the house absolute, and then there's the prison segment. Uh, you know, the in the prison break segment. So let's start with uh, Vodalus and Thea in the woods. We ended our last reading with uh, Severian's, uh, you know, uh, natural twenty that he rolled <laughs> to uh, surf his way into the autark of the woods' throne room. Mm-hmm. Um, but now they're doing some strategizing and whatnot because a Vodalus knows that Severian is a Vodalari, a man <laughs> who has devoted his life to the cause of Vodalus. Um, and they get to know each other again. It's, of course, the straightest thing in the world um, to say that um, uh, the, the reason you fell in love with the person you fell in love with <laughs> is because she reminded you of another woman who belonged to the man that you loved. <laughs> <laughs> he, says, he says the man that I saved. He says, it was with Thea that I had first fallen in love, worshiping her because she belonged to the man that I had saved. All right, dude. Yeah, that's uh-huh. fine. <laughs> uh, is this not, not the Baywatch theory of, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Of like w- weird heterosexuality. Yes. Right? Well, I was going to say, yeah, speaking of uh, the straightest thing imaginable and or weird heterosexuality, uh, what I think is really delightful about uh, this kind of expository moment here where we get to learn who these characters are and kind of what mm-hmm. they're up to is that uh, Thea and Vodalus, uh, like I can see I can picture them so clearly as like uh, a couple on an HGTV show that flips houses that like low key resents one another and is constantly being passive aggressive during the talking head oh. head segments. Yeah, Be- because that is a thing that becomes very clear is that when either one of them is talking uh, like when one of them is talking, the other one is like looking for the thing that they're misstating or like trying to find the thing that they're forgetting. And uh, mm-hmm. like it, there's such a, a immaculate little way that without these characters, like screaming at each other, right. Without it becoming farce, you realize that they are both insufferable and they are insufferable together. <laughs> there's that little throwaway line where uh, Severian is explaining to Thea what Thecla said would happen if if she were freed and that you get to go to the house and that she owns like off in the, the periphery of the the autarxy and and mm. uh, they get to go hunting and da, da, da. and I've had my fill of hunting. I've had my yeah. fill of hunting. Oh, you know she's she's upset about this. You know she's hot over mm-hmm. over living in the woods and having to live a life like this. You know it. <laughs> Yeah, and what's so oh, fascinating no, they're about not, the They're not flipping houses. They moved away from the suburbs to start a farmette. That's what That's they're doing. That's exactly <laughs> it. I've seen this YouTube couple. <laughs> yes. The, uh, we lived in a trailer for a year. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Um, we, uh, the, the, the fascinating part about that, too, is that from what we know of Autark's past, and we've gotten a lot of glimmers of that, and we've gotten a little bit of a glimmer of the current Autark, even though we don't know who it is. You know, it, we don't have a name uh, for the current 
autark whose urine is the wine of his people. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but what's fascinating is that Thea asserts, right? Because there's this like kind of Pope anti-Pope thing going on, right? Like mm-hmm. um, he, Vodalus explicitly says like, I I am a different kind of autark already, right? I'm, I'm doing autark shit in the woods. Um, and Thea, you know, asserts, I will be his consort. And mm. very clearly that is like a queenship, you know, there, there, that is, um, that, that doesn't seem to be symbolic, right? That seems to be, um, very powerful in the one paragraph we get about it. Um, but we have never heard, as far as I can remember, we've never heard about a consort to the, the autark before. No. We've heard about the, no. the well of orchids. We've heard mm-hmm, about right. the court. We've heard about all that kind of stuff, but there ha- does not seem to actually be a mechanism for a consort with power to exist. And I think that lends to that kind of friction between these two characters is Thea's being promised something and she's like on board in the woods because she wants the thing. Mm-hmm. But it, it, you know, based on the evidence we have, I don't know if that thing is real. Well, if it is, it is also presumably, it's easy to imagine Vodalus explaining, ah, Autarchs in the past used to take a consort who mm-hmm. would be the sort of, you know, an advisor and a lover and 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 having Thea's like eyes go wide at that because mm-hmm. that sounds like a better deal than what she's got now, you know? Yeah. Understandably. Which is living in the woods. But <laughs> so they, uh, they do all that kind of stuff and then they drop the, uh, I mean, there's some like fun stuff actually. In that section, there's the piece about um, where they explain the uh, history of the planet Earth or the name for mm-hmm. Earth. Mm-hmm. What do y'all think about that? Do you have any any thoughts or opinions about that? I mean, it's a bunch of fun puns that uh, Wolf loves to do, and that will become important again when we talk about the tale of the student and his son. Oh, Lord. I, you know, yes, it will be. But I mean, is there any meaning beyond puns? Because what happens there? Let me I'm trying to pull the page here for me, unless someone mm-hmm. else has it here. Um, I got the Legion. I thought I had marked it, but it doesn't look like I did. But it's the one about how Earth became Earth. Yes. Yeah, well, because they went to people in the past went to um, what we call Mars. Mm-hmm. And which was named after the god of war. And so they, Verthandi, which is what they call it now. Like in Severian's time, they call it Verthandi, uh, mm-hmm. which is our Mars. But when they got there, they decided that that was an inappropriate name. So they named it Present, which is both means the current moment and a gift, right? This is mm-hmm. this double meaning pun. Mm-hmm. And then they do it to the other planets and they do it to Earth. Right. It's uh it's the Norns, I believe. The names of the Norns. Ah, uh, okay. Right. Uh yes, right. So this is uh uh Oh yeah, it is. I, yeah. I didn't even I didn't yeah. even realize that. Yeah. yeah, those are the puns, right? Uh uh those are the names of the Norns, uh the the three like the versions of the weird sisters uh in Norse mythology, the fates, mm-hmm. right? The three women who control kind of time and destiny. Right. Uh, so this is what Thea says. Do you know how our world was renamed Torturer? The Dawn men went to Red Verthandi, who was then named War. And because they thought that that had an ungracious sound that would keep others from following them, they renamed it, calling it Present. That was a jest in their tongue, for the name for the same word meant now and the gift. Or so one of our tutors once explained the matter to my sister and me, though I do not see how any language could endure such confusion. 
Then the others, well, actually, this is, I should say this. Vodalus listened to her as though he were impatient to speak himself, yet was too well-mannered to interrupt her. This is what I was talking about, about how well this is done. (laughs) Um, Then others, who would have drawn a people to the innermost habitable world for their own reasons, took up the game as well, and called that world Skuld, the world of the future. Thus, our own became Earth, the world of the past. So, Earth, uh, E-A-R-T-H, becomes Earth, U-R-T-H, which was the name of the Norn uh, who represented the past. This makes sense. Mm. So sure. And then Vodalus comes in to correct her, right? You are wrong in that, I fear. I have it on good authority that this world of ours ha- uh, has been called by that name from the utmost reaches of antiquity. Still, your error is so charming that I would rather have it that you are correct and I am mistaken. Well, and the thing is, he doesn't get the pun, right? right? That's what's right. happening here is he's like, right. you know, the person at the time who made the decision was like, ah, oh, it all lines up and we can call Earth Earth. Isn't that fun? Mm-hmm. And and he doesn't get that additional layer, which is great. Right. Well, it's also the kind of like Gene Wolfian bending, right? Because right. there's a few different ways to say all of these, uh, the the fate names, right? Like, sure. They don't directly kind of move into to English because they are non-English words, right? And so, like, it, it all of this, like, this whole segment is... Uh, dueling interpretations of where these names came from and what would happen. And then when you dig into it, actually, right, it's even more ambiguous because they're being bent to mm-hmm. accomplish the kind of goal that even Gene Wolfe wants to do with it. So, um, you know, and that's in a moment, in a, in a set of scenes that are about uh, what is Vodalus up to? Who is who? Who controls Vodalus? Vodalus has masters. Did y'all know mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, masters below the tides. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, and then that, like, you know, uh, and then we also get the um, Severian's thing going on with Thecla's memories, which is that Thecla has memories of Severian and Severian has memories of her. Um, and it's difficult to know what is the, the, the capital T truth of the matter, right? Yeah, um, I mean, that is that is going to be the big thing here that I think we're going to mm-hmm. spend a little time on. Before we leave the this little section, the two other things from the, the uh, renaming Earth story um, that are interesting are uh, – uh, Thea saying, oh, how could we, I don't know how people could live in a world where there was such confusion in the language <laughs> that the idea present would mean both now and the gift, mm-hmm. um, which is that Thea just not understanding that words work like that or has language shifted in such a way in the time that they live to reduce some sort of ambiguity. That mm-hmm. seems like a thing that Father Neri would, would uh, I have a project, everyone. I'm getting rid of ambiguity from language. Verhazian <laughs> um, uh, uh, villain status confirmed, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing here is the idea that um, the, you know, it used to be called Mars, right? And yeah. uh, the people who, who, language was different then, and that'll be a recurring thing during this section once we get to more Jonas stuff. You know, um, mm-hmm. the, this is this is the era Jonas is from, it seems, you know, or at mm-hmm. least the era that Jonas was traveling during. Well, and I mean, I guess one last thing to say about this is that uh, there is nothing more realistic than uh, we, we went to Mars and now we're here. We're renaming this bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> like if we let. Musk set foot on Mars, it's turning into planet X. Y'all know that, right? <laughs> yeah. We live here. We can determine whatever it's called. It's oh, planet vo- X. I voted now. on like, it. I voted yeah. on it. Yeah. Right. I, I did a poll. It's binding. 
Like yeah. I'm, but but it's such a like reading that I was like, this is such a realistic <laughs> occur, and the unrealistic thing is that it would have any kind of poetics to it. You know? Right, yeah, like, right, right. It would be named, you know, whatever the crypto.com planet, right? Um, uh, it, you know, in our Verthandi reality, coin, <laughs> right? Which is so much more depressing somehow than even uh. Severian's future. <sighs> I'm not a space travel guy, like as like, uh, you know. I think that there are lots of positions one can have around NASA and space travel and exploration. Um, uh, I, so I'm not like moved. I don't think like, I, I think that there's a good case to be made that like we've spent a lot of money trying to do stuff that is not, you know, as important as feeding people or eliminating poverty or et cetera. Right. Supporting infrastructure needs. However, we got to get fucking space travel back from these assholes. <laughs> It can't be billionaires doing it. It has to be us wasting our money and getting to name it even stupider stuff like curiosity. We have to go land on Mars. Like this is curiosity now because we landed on the curiosity lander. So we're calling it the planet curiosity. That's better than the planet X in my mind. And uh, I demand it. We have to work towards this. You ever read uh, Kim Stanley Robinson's ice hinge? No. Uh, I'm not going to give the full summary of it here because part of the the joy of the book is getting, you know, uh, realizing the 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 things that occur in it. But it's it is about a political revolt that happens on Mars, and there are kind of three novellas that make up the novel, and the political revolt is kind of undergirded by this structure that is found. Uh, on a couple planets in the, the other part of our solar system of a precursor species. And uh, that that was like among the stars that maybe human beings are a part of that species. And the whole novel revolves around the, the three different novellas. You know, they one is during the re- revolution on a spaceship that's kind of determining if they're going to join the revolt. Another one is on the ground while it's happening, and another one is like an archaeologist a hundred years later, mm. um, who is like trying to determine what happened. But the question is: is uh, is Ice Hinge this thing that you know that they found on Mars and then on on another planet? I think on Neptune, maybe. Is it uh, fictional? What is it a hoax? Right. In order to give people the the feeling that there is something bigger, right? That space is this thing that we have a responsibility to, as opposed to a thing that needs to be extracted brutally. And that's basically what, you know, like the two political poles are revolutionaries who kind of want things to be better and have a responsibility to the stars, which, you know, there's scientists and they're all that kind of stuff. And then there's like earth people who are like, you know, in the corporate tower, those kinds of mm-hmm. stuff. So it's like, pretty thin it's more more politically thin than a lot a lot of uh ksr's other stuff but it is exactly this thing that you're you're talking about austin that's like you know like uh, space is an obligation you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. for someone and we got to wrestle that obligation from them um but uh, maybe we'll do that on the show at some point it's a really quick read it's really fun no i thought you meant like we were going to live up to the obligation of space (laughs) Yeah, we'll do that on the show. I, yeah, I'm we'll thinking by episode 100, we, we will, um, I'm, we're really putting the Patreon dollars toward it. Um, do a little mini doc, you know, while we're up there. We already yeah. bought a flyer and a ray gun. Um, yeah. we're, we're going to turn things back to the way they used to be. NASA had funding. Billionaires weren't in space. Starlink didn't exist. Yeah. 
And yeah. I've gotten rid of all my sword canes, the weapon of our world. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, I'm really. What do we think weapon. about this? The Votalists, like, pretty explicitly being like, "All right, here's here's the strategy, and here's the play. This is what I want to do. Is I want to go back to space. I want to bring us to outer space. We used to jump around to different galaxies. That was cooler than this shit. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna you know uh, dethrone the current Altark over that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it is, it's pretty, it's, Wolf is doing something really interesting here of taking the thing, you know, the spacefaring future and putting it in the past and then, you know, essentially taking conservative talking points and then mm-hmm. putting them in space, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, we need to go back to the way things used to be when we, we were on fine Verthandi. <laughs> right, Presumably right. people still live up there too, by the way, right? right like yeah. People still live on the moon. Right. People still live, presumably, I mean, you know, who knows if Otis is right or not, but he's out here describing people jumping from galaxy to galaxy. Mm-hmm. That's far. They're still out That's there. That's really far. You know, Jonas yeah. just got back however long ago. So uh, yeah, but years ago, but not too many years ago, right, but right. sorry, Michael, it sounded like you were going to say something. Sorry. Oh, I, I was just going to uh, say, like, to, specifically Vodalus's kind of, like, way of thinking about what he's doing here is he talks about it to Severian in terms of a chess game, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a game between white and black. Uh, and uh, so the, he says, you spoke a moment ago of checkmating that mewling fool, the Autark. I wanted, I want you to conceive now of two Autarks, two great powers striving for mastery. The white seeks to maintain things as they are, the black to set man's foot on the road to domination again. I called it the black by chance, but it would be well to remember that it is by night that we see the stars strongly. They are remote and all but invisible in the red light of day. Now, of those two powers, which would you serve? And then Severian is like, the black, surely. And Vodalus says, good, but as a man of sense, you must understand that the way to reconquest cannot be easy. Those who wish no change may sit hugging their scruples forever. We must do everything. We must dare everything. So uh, just to provide some evidence or or, uh, some oomph to what you were saying, Cameron, right? These kind of... um, conservative uh, talking points that uh, uh, we must be the men who rise up and and make history uh, what it was again, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, And that comes through very, very strongly here. Uh, And the whole thing gets really strangely tinged through one uh, uh, Vodalist taking the side of the black, right? Just because of the uh, larger kind of cultural connotations between like white and black and good and evil. Um, And then the revelation in this chapter that his uh, 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 like benefactors, right? His masters are the people of the countries beneath the waves, which is to say Abaya Mm -hmm. and uh, Mm -hmm. its ilk, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, oh, wait a minute. What what's happening here? Like uh, Vodalus is actually like so Vodalus is doing all this stuff, right? There is kind of this like weird revolutionary movement happening. Uh, And at the same time, it is a revolutionary movement that is serving the interests of the giant ancient aliens that live underneath the water and are hoping to like flood the earth so they can come live on land, question mark. Yeah, hard to know what they're actually after. Yeah. But and and you know, this is like the big fantasy framework that we have been given, right? We've got the the evil king and Robin Hood, right? That's mm-hmm. our Autark and mm-hmm. Vodalus. And we're also getting, you know, something Lord of the Ringsy, right? We're getting 
the the good people of the land and then like the evil people in literally a different world right you know it's mm-hmm. not even mordor over there right it's under the water where you can't even go mm-hmm. and you know the the books have done a pretty good job so far of of asking us to be critical of all of that stuff what's going on here um, but Severian is not critical of any of that mm-hmm. stuff, right? Like Severian is a fantasy character in a fantasy plot right now and is like, uh-oh, I've aligned myself with Robin Hood, who is aligned with Sauron. Uh-oh. <laughs> and, and he's like a good protagonist, right? He's a good old Frodo, right? He's, yeah. he's or, or, you know, a good... Um, you know, a uh, person on the road to Canterbury, right? A little bit more properly and is going to do the quote unquote right thing, which is like, I'm not going to be with Votalus anymore. He kind of decides mm-hmm. that right around here, um, that, that he's going to break from this kind of rebellious faction because the rebellion is to align with an existential enemy. It seems like, right. Just mm-hmm. something beyond the pale, even though he's already betrayed the autark before, mm-hmm. right. He's betrayed his guild, all this kind of stuff. This is, Severian tells us explicitly this is a bridge too far mm-hmm. um, and he doesn't want to be involved anymore. Which again, uh, makes so much more sense when you start thinking of Severian as being a teenager. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so important to remember how young he is. Uh, uh, one other yes. thing that I actually wanted to point out just in what I read from, um, it, it jumped out at me this time uh, that Vodalus uses uh, the term reconquest to describe mm-hmm. his project. Mm-hmm. Uh, because to me, uh, uh, it very much evokes the reconquista, which is, yeah. you know, the Spanish term. It means reconquest, uh, but refers historically to the uh, uh, wars that were fought on the Iberian Peninsula, where the various Christian uh, uh, states uh, expelled uh, and fought, like fought against and expelled like the Muslims that were living on the Iberian Peninsula. And this mm-hmm. is bound up a lot in uh you know, sort of the 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 construction of whiteness, right, and the construction of Christian whiteness specifically, and this is also the thing that leads directly into Ferdinand and Isabel as uh, the monarchs of Spain funding Columbus and his voyage into the New World. So there's mm-hmm. uh, a- another sense that in the far far future, right, everything is all kind of recycling itself again. That there's this uh, uh, movement to consolidation of power in in kind of imperial terms that is. Uh, maybe not so great that it's not going to maybe kick off something awesome if it succeeds. Well, and also explicitly, it's a religious fight. Yes. Um, because that is also what's happening here, right? Like Votalus learns that Severian has the claw right. and he won't even look at it, let alone mm-hmm. touch it. Right. Mm-hmm. He won't look at it because that will be taken as both a kind of a, a religious verification on the autarky side. Right. Our enemies have seized our religious artifact. Uh, and also as a betrayal by his actual masters, right? You're involved in the kind of religio science science fiction artifact stuff that the other side are doing. Um, and so it's better for him not to even see it, let mm-hmm. alone, you know, uh, take it or touch it or whatever. Um, uh, and again, there's a little bit of Lord of the Rings in here too, right? This is Gandalf and the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. So better not to even engage. Just get and, rid of it. Yeah, Severian, go throw it in a lake. Worst come to worst, you know? No, he does not say throw it in a lake. He says throw it in a pit. You're right. He does say throw it in a pit. Because don't throw it in the water. This is the thing. I think the water's. Oh, yeah, you're right. Don't throw it in the water. We know it's in the water. Good point. Good point. (laughs) 
but but I did take you know I'm I'm poking there, but I did take that as very purposeful, right? Yes. Because I no, think you right. and I would say go throw it in the ocean, yes. right? Mm-hmm. But we don't do that. Like, we shouldn't do yeah. that because we know who's in the ocean. <laughs> right, right, right. There's one explicit place you can't throw it, and that's the ocean. Anywhere I'm just saying later we see a pit and he describes it as a beautiful underground grotto of the house absolute. Don't throw it there either. That's there's nowhere good to throw it. You got to hold on to it. Uh, keep it in your keep it in your boot. Yeah. All right. That was Abo. All right. Yeah. So if all the other stuff that just happened wasn't enough to kind of clue us off that there maybe wasn't something great going on with Vodalus, it turns out everyone is an extremely eager cannibal because they are constantly doing uh, uh, cannibalism feasts in the woods. Uh, That's a thing that they do. Yeah. yeah, you thought that the cannibals in the in the uh, the citadel, you thought that those cannibals were like eating corpses for sustenance, dear reader. You're wrong. They were doing it because they're using them like a DVD archive. Try <laughs> <laughs> they're doing some strange days situations. Yes, a hundred percent. The fact that you get the lead, in, there's such good like dread. As they move towards this meal, the thing that sets this up is that that you know, uh, Severian and Thea catch up, and Severian's like, "Hey, I want to talk to Thea later so I can tell her about her sister," and and he does, and and obviously, again, the thing that I said during the the intro was <clears throat> that, that there's if you know what's coming, there's such a sense of of ironic you know dread approaching here, um, uh, where where Thea is like, "Oh, were you her servant?" and and he's thinking of the time that she died, and uh, she's asking, like, well, how was she arrested? And and he tells Thea about what Thecla's arrest was like from what Thecla had told him. And, uh, uh, you know, he, again, leaves out, seems to leave out bits of it where he would be implicated, letting her believe that he was uh, simply her servant. Um, uh, and she, in exchange, says, you know, hey, thanks for letting me know about this. Uh, you know, let me give you... A little something in return. Um, uh, she says, um, she looked somberly at Jonas and me. Uh, sorry, he, uh, Jean writes, she looked somberly at Jonas and me and rose very gracefully, indicating by a gesture that we were to remain where we were. I was happy to hear something now of my half-sister, that house you spoke of is mine now, you know, though I can't claim it. To recompense you, uh, I warn you of the supper we will, sh- we will soon share. You didn't seem receptive of the hints Vodalus flung at you. Did you understand them? <laughs> when Jonas said nothing, I shook my head. If we and our allies and masters who wait in the countries beneath the tides are to triumph, we must absorb all that can be learned of the past. Do you know the analeptic Alzabo? I said, no, Chatelaine, but I've heard tales of the animal of that name. It is said it can speak and that it comes by night to a house where a child has died and cries to be let in. Thea nodded. That animal was brought from the stars long ago, as were many other things for the benefit of Earth. It is a beast having no more intelligence than a dog, and perhaps less, but it is a devourer of carrion and a clawer at graves. And when it has fed upon human flesh, it knows, at least for a time, the speech and ways of human beings. The analeptic Alzabo is prepared from a gland at the base of the animal's skull. Do you understand me? When she had gone, Jonas would not look at me, nor I at his face. We both knew what feast it was we were to attend that night. Banger. 
We are Jonas entering... is playing Minesweeper in his brain. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, he is totally not paying attention. Jo- well, no, because Jonas knows not to eat. Well, okay, well, Jonas doesn't know not to eat, but Jonas... Right. Jonas doesn't eat. You're right, Jonas doesn't eat. <laughs> he pretends every time. He's like, dude, I trick you. I trick you every day. <laughs> you think I'm eating your slop. Uh-huh. I'm not eating shit. I pretend. Oh, uh, uh, Jonas is great. But uh, Jones is, is excellent. But yeah, no, it, it, like just a, what a wonderful set of of like it, it also gives you the other thing, which is, you know, common to this, you know, kind of writing about aristocracy, hierarchy, whatever. Right. This is like Vanity Fair stuff. Right. Yeah. That Like that hint and implication are as important as statement. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. she's like, oh, you already know what's happening, right? And Severian's like, I don't know anything about what, what is occurring. Can you explain it? And she's like, yes, I will explain it. Uh, but again, this is another, it's another moment where communication is the the key line here, right? Yeah. Like, you should already know what we're doing here, right? And, and there's a little bit of like, I think Wolf poking the reader, right? Which is like, if, if we run into something that is, is a surprise for you, you should maybe be looking for these other hints that are happening. You know, the, there's a way that this is being instructive of a reading practice here as well, which I don't necessarily know is true. But it, if, the, if the author tells you this enough times, it's a thing you start thinking is true, right? right. Whether or not it right. is or not. But um, and, and then, then they go the, they the, do it. Yeah. yeah, the feast itself is a nightmare. Like mm-hmm. the people licking their lips and like – like humming under their breath as they're anticipating the the meal, um, it is it is like genuinely pretty frightful, um, mm-hmm. and I I really love uh, the lead up to. Also, just a, a thing that we don't ever mention is the chapter titles of this book. Um, and going, hey, now, from we the- mentioned the first chapter title. Okay, okay, that's true. Uh, <laughs> going from Thea to Thecla here is just extremely yeah. good. Um, yeah. As you turn the page, because. You know, again, you don't know what this meal is going to be exactly. Um, uh, and to turn the page and uh, you understand what it's what it's you understand the Alzabo part. You understand the memories or they're going to gain the memories of the dead part. Um, but then to turn the page and see the word Thecla and be like, ah, Thecla is dead. Uh Oh, is mm-hmm. very good. <laughs> mm hmm. Yeah, and I mean, in the whole thing, uh, uh, again, keying back into the religious register is a uh, it's demonic communion, right? Mm-hmm. It is an inversion of the ritual of communion. Uh, uh, Jesus saying, you know, whoso eateth of my flesh and drinketh yes. my blood hath eternal life. Uh, and this is like literalizing that uh, through an animal, right? Through an alien that was brought from the stars uh, and in kind of this like, horrifically inverted way where the the person who is dead is through being consumed being brought back to life within another human being in kind of like you know that's uh, basically the situation for severian and that club uh at the end of this is that they're like sharing a mind or like rather they are two minds sharing one body mm-hmm mm-hmm well, and it, it, it's so good to me too that so much of this um we get very clear uh, in retrospect, right? Like it is all, uh, you know, retroactive, but you know, Severian's long, uh, quizzing conversation in the first book about like, well, is a whole person's life contained in their Mm -hmm. finger, Mm -hmm. you know, 
Yep. Like, uh, does your toe toe have? The answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, the answer is like, yes. Like definitively, yeah. <laughs> Folks, this has been. I think this is the thing that's the most like we can't talk about it yet. We can't talk. We can't. Uh, right. we, we can't yeah. talk about w- what's going on with some of Severian's writing uh, here. We can't talk about his memory fully quite yet. This is a big part yeah. of that. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, so. But uh, because there's a confluence of two things. Yes. You know, ju- just to lay it out very to, – to Thea this thing, right? Balzabo mm-hmm. gives you the memories and senses of, and experiences of the person that you are eating. You know, you're doing some cannibalism. You take a concoction. You know, you do your shot, and then you – Eat your cannibal, <laughs> do your cannibalism, right? That gives you the thoughts, memories, experiences, ideas of the the person as they lived. And it seems like you get a scatter shot of it. You know, maybe it's not complete for people, whatever, right? And maybe that's part of what Severian's doing earlier in the previous book of is your whole life in your finger, right? Like mm-hmm. there is maybe a question here of how much actually does Severian get here? We, hard to know. But the difference here that that cuts in, at least to my reading, tell me if y'all think this is wrong. The difference here is that for most people when they do it, you know, so what's going to happen is everyone at this table is going to eat of Thecla's body, which has been transported here from the Citadel, you know, over a long period of time, preserved. They eat. They have her experiences for the evening. It, It has this kind of... A vibe to it, as you said, Michael, of both a religious ceremony, but also kind of a, you know, bacchanal, right? Like mm-hmm. to to live in the moment as someone else to have their experience. And, you know, we get this dialogue beforehand or, or you know, uh, what Severian overhears is people talking about like, oh, ooh, we got a really good one this, you know, this night, you know, mm-hmm. oh, she, you know, not just a armager, but like a real uh, exultant. You know, I hope she that. was gay, says one of them. Oh, right. <laughs> No, he says he hopes she does. Doesn't he say, "I hope she"? Oh, wasn't you're right. Gay? He hits the oh. other way. You're right. Yeah, he oh, says, I, "Not yeah. another tribade." I hope. Yeah, oh, and that jumped right, out to right. me also for the reason. So, tribade is a uh, uh, an old word that, um, in many contexts, could have meant uh, lesbian. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, if you press on this historically, if you trace down, like, what is this referring to? What were tribades thought to do? Um, they were thought to be women who grew penises. Right. Oh, interesting. Yes. Sure. Right. Uh, um, and so like it was believed basically uh, uh, at certain points in, in history that like if a woman was enough of a lesbian, she would grow a penis. Right. Uh, and so uh, the tribade is a an insult that is charged in like medieval and early modern discourse, um, because when it's leveled at a woman. It brings up a lot of stuff that we would rec- like, you know, issues of like gender nonconformance and what mm-hmm. we would like parse under the umbrella of kind of like trans issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it it really jumped out to me uh, that that is a thing, one that exists in this world and that it's not what we want to happen. And also, this is the event that ends up with a man with a like fully formed woman, possibly like living right. in his head. Right. right. Well, so, yeah. So let me let me close it out. So the the uniqueness here of what occurs is most people. This is like a night of thrills and, and chills. Right. This is it's, uh, you know, Austin, as you said, it's strange days. Right. 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 Um, but Severian is someone who has a perfect memory. And uh, has specifically in this book and, and toward the end of the previous book, we are told very explicitly that Severian not only has a perfect memory 
of like an eventual memory, but it's a memory of sensations and feelings and, you know, uh, the kind of affective work here, right? What, what did it feel like to phenomenally exist in the moment? You know, what was the temperature? How, how, what was my uh, desire at that moment? All kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so when Severian specifically engages in this process, it, it is imprinted on him forever. Right. It doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. And so the, what we are given to understand, and it's a little bit vague at this point, but I do think it's important to maybe have this in your head for going forward, is that Thecla is now in there, yep. right? Mm -hmm. Thec Thecla is, uh, you know, kind of in a box in Severian's head, and maybe not just in a Cameron, box, right? Yeah, I was going to say, Cameron, I got to tell you, sometimes around. she's not just in there. She's out right. there. Right. She, she is out there in she the world. She is outside, it, it, like... Right. Uh, right. Doing stuff. And so that changes... You know, because we are reading Severian at the end of the tale, writing the tale, it is maybe worth thinking through the beginning of the book as a Severian-Thecla hybrid mm -hmm. writing the whole thing. And that doesn't really matter for too many portions at this point, and we'll talk about maybe some of them now, or maybe we'll talk about some as the show goes on. There's no event that we can go back and point to to be like, oh my God, it changes the book. And I, I think that's actually a strength of, of the thing. But one thing that is uh, quite fun about it, you know, just a little tidbit, is that if you remember a thing that Thecla said, it was that a prophet told her that she would, that she would be on the throne one day, right. that she yep. would be yep. Autark. Yep. And we have now learned at this point in the reading that that's factually true. Yep. Severian is the autarch. Thecla is inside of Severian. And so then, therefore, that prophecy has come true. Mm -hmm. It's great. Or, or Thecla is Severian. Like, I, you know, I'm saying inside in a box, whatever. No, there's a collapse of these two people, right. for real. Right. Yeah, because even right. when he's balanced in... So what we see going forward here is that there are times when Severian fully gives way to Thecla to mm. such a degree that the little girl in the prison sees her later um, yeah. uh, in the dark, uh, in, a, in a ghostly form. Um, but but also just in the writing will sometimes, you know, diverge into uh, her perspective, her uh, – there's the bit where he's trying to fall asleep and is like counting sheep. But instead of counting sheep, he's counting things in his own memory. And then it begins counting things and she begins counting things in her memory. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but also – just walking around will start recognizing people she knew. And so there is a sort of, at least some sort of porous, you know, boundary between them, if there is a boundary at all, um, uh, which is which is great. This is such a good payoff to the Thecla, the fake Thecla letter that Agia sent, which mm -hmm. raised the idea that Thecla was not dead, only to, to squash that, to make it very clear that's not the world we live in. No, we live in the world where if you eat an alien gland um, and then do cannibalism, you get the person in your brain. Uh, Cameron, for what it's worth, because of the completeness, the seeming completeness of, of Thecla, I actually suspect that there is like, my reading on this was everybody gets it all, but nobody else can maintain it all. You yeah, know what I yeah. mean? It all, yes. it goes, yeah, yeah. I don't think it is particularly scattershot. I think it is just like, it's the full strange days, you know, cam at hyperspeed. And that doesn't work for anybody else, except maybe they they pull out the location of uh, a chateau somewhere, or they have a, you know, maybe they learn one or two things that are kind of interesting or useful, but otherwise are not. Um, because, because partly it's like, well, I, I want I want the payoff here that we don't get, which is Thea would now know what happened to Thecla with regard yes. to Severian. You know, yes. we don't quite get that. 
Well, I think another part of it too is I, I, I think there's there's two interesting like complications that Wolf never really gets into as far as I can remember in the next books, but but I think there's an ambiguity here that is productive, right? That that we're yes. asked to grapple with. One is that you are getting the life and memories of someone, Severian specifically, is getting the life and memories of someone who does not have a perfect memory. Right. Right. right? And so like that to me is like, okay, well, you can see maybe a scattershottedness uh of it. Um, and the other ones is you get there, you get the same thing that we get with Severian, which is that if someone's not paying attention or, right. or someone is not, you, you know, you're not getting the strange days experience, right? If people are not familiar with this, it's yes. the Catherine Bigelow film. We're not going to talk about it extensively. Um, but, you know, in that film, there is, um, uh, oh, it's called Sense. What, uh, I don't remember. Simstim? No, that's yeah. from Neuromancer. <laughs> sure. It, it's anyway you I mean, get it's a all camera. over it's all over cyberpunk at this point you know right right you get a full camera view of everything they see even if they don't pay attention to it or not right, right. Mm-hmm. i don't think that's what severian gets here i think that severian does i think you're exactly right gets the full recording of whatever is in there um but i don't think that that is a complete recording of the world because thecla is not severian and and severian seems to be fairly unique mm-hmm. um um, in, in that experience. And so there's I think, one other thing here too, which I think is important to mm-hmm. answer uh, a, a question that might be lingering on some readers' minds, which is... Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, before you do this, can I just say one last yes, thing about please. The, the previous please, thing? Please. I do think that earlier in that previous book, I think that the... Sing, is a person's life contained in their finger? I think that we are supposed to be considering that now. Yes. And we're supposed to think about that ambiguity there, right? Like... Severian gets a whole person here and gets all of Thecla, but can all of Thecla be in what can fit in your mouth? And I, I think that or is even if it was, could it all ridiculous. fit in your mind? Is not if part she of were Thecla contained being, in a leak. This well, this is the thing, right? Is Severian can't swallow a whole leak, so he can't be Thecla because Thecla could right. swallow a whole leak in one bite, and that's part of who Thecla right. is. But also yeah. a whole person. Other than Severian, a whole person is a bunch of fragments, right? right like, I don't right. have a perfect memory. Right. You know, Severian is a very unique little boy in that regard. But anyway, I just wanted to say that, you know, that that ambiguity works two ways, right? Like, he's thinking through those questions in the writing because uh, it obviously leads us to this point of being like, well, yeah, there is a bunch of a person in that, right? Uh, but it also flips back the other way because the incompleteness question, I think, applies here, too. But sorry, you you were you the, were, the uh, thing that I, you know, I think it's easy to read this and be like, Gene just made this up because outside of the that will be on the throne one day thing. Mm-hmm. How, how come, you know, um, Severian hasn't had one of these um, uh, strange uh, uh, segments where suddenly he's writing as Thecla mm-hmm. totally. And mm-hmm. I, I think that the answer is that we know that Severian has said that when he starts to think about a topic, it takes it, it takes him over. You know, um, when he mm-hmm. starts telling a story, he's whispering it to himself under his breath. He can get lost in his little reveries. And in this moment, he is writing. And this moment and the following chapters are, you have to imagine him sitting at his desk, giving himself to these memories and the sense experience of suddenly having Thecla mm-hmm. be in the forefront again. Um, and mm-hmm. and to the degree that I think in a coming chapter, he says something quite like this, right? That like, uh, or, or the way that he, t- he ends up, he ends up writing a thing about what Thecla knows. And then a sentence later talks about, or a paragraph later says like, with the moment he learned it, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that stuff is like, 
again, perfect memory, but but uh, uh, perfect means different things. You know, it, it, he can get lost in his own moments of recall. And when that recall is now being mediated through another person who seems to not just be a collection of memories, mm-hmm. but as someone who has a sort of agency, again, agency is just nonstop. Like, truly, I joked <laughs> at the beginning, but the question of agency is nonstop in this uh, in this section, um, yeah. uh, you know, he's giving part of himself over to that, or that 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 being is coming up and is um, uh, shaping parts of of Severian's action from this point mm-hmm. forward. It seems not well, just a pool of data files he can check. He's not just reading the. He's not just reading Thecla.txt. You know, he's running yeah. Thecla.exe in there, and it might not be the real <laughs> Thecla.exe. It might right. be some sort of right. other Thecla.exe. It's a holographic, you know, right. kind of, it, yes. of composite. Because he also says that that. Or, uh, Thea tells before the the meal says explicitly people who had previous experience with the person that they are alzaboing up they have a hard time with yes. this right yes. like it, it in, the memories intermingle in a weird way I I want to say a, a very quick thing about about that of like well why hasn't this happened before I think I think one reason for it is like it's a fun trick to do and uh, it's better to let it be introduced here, like just on a writerly level and then play it out through the rest of this book, which it does mm-hmm. on the other one. This is like historiographic. And what I'm about to say is like nearly verboten in like the, the you know, the, the gene wolf universe here. Right. But I'm not quite sure that wolf had this figured out right in shadow of the torture. Uh, no, I don't think he did. Right. I just don't think so. And like it, it really, you know, Michael, we do just King things as well. And something we talk about on that show all the time is Stephen King just, you know, it, when in doubt, print the legend, right? Like he will repeat the most exaggerated and powerful story about himself. And that's always fun to do. But then you kind of check that up and you look at, you know, different accounts or even what he said at the time. And sometimes that's a little bit different. Um and Gene Wolfe was exactly the same way, you know, um, not in the exaggerated mode, maybe that King is, but <laughs> he's like, I don't remember writing Soldier of the Mist. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's a little joke. But, but Gene, will, Gene Wolfe will say things like, uh, you know, people have posted this in the Discord, but like in interviews, you know, I write all the words as they need to be written. You know, mm-hmm. like there, there's this kind of divine watchmaker persona that that Wolf had, especially toward the end of his life. Right. That I think is very quotable and very um, alluring. Right. That like there's just this kind of like perfectly machine like man who like understood all the the pieces. But I think I mean, these were books that were written in phenomenal time. They occurred. I don't believe Claw was complete. No, Claw, there was a complete draft of it by the time that Shadow came out. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's the historiographical thing. But I think that based on the next two books and the way that they go and the way that this question of the Alzebo and of Thecla goes, I think that the first book would look a little bit different if he had if he were fully keyed into this. And I know that like, you know, the the watch analysts out there for Gene Wolfe find this to be distressing that I'm saying this, right? That that this was written in human time by a human being. Um, but I'm, I'm being funny here. I, I understand that people are very passionate about this, but, uh, I really do think that, that part of the, the lack of lock and key between this idea and the previous book, I think is, is just the, the, the fact that we're written in sequence with one another. Um, and then you wanted to save it. It's a, it's a more fun reveal than it is to read this and then go back and reread all of shadow of the torturer to, mm-hmm. to find the seven moments where Thecla's talking, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think you can do. Um, yeah. 
I think it's a like, fun game to play, right? It is. Yeah, and as, as we know, we always surrender ourselves to games, mm-hmm. uh, but but to some degree, it's fake, right? And and I think that that's uh, it's fine to go back there and play the game of what do you think Thecla touched here. Uh, but I don't think that, as always, that we need to look at that as this is a key for things that came before. Um, but I think it's a very useful thing to carry forward as the stuff gets continued to, to be talked about. A thing I do think that Gene had uh, was, hey, these people are cannibals. <laughs> I don't think yes. he has the Thecla turn. But one of my favorite short little moments during this whole section is when Jonas is like, Severian, come on. You told me. They broke into the necropolis and stole a body. <laughs> you knew what they were doing, right? And and Severian is like, well, I I knew, but I didn't really. It was kind of. It just seemed kind of. He was a cool guy, you know. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I was gonna. It didn't. Wasn't a big deal to me then. Extremely funny, and I think that that's true. I think that like from the jump, he did know they're here to steal a body to eat it, you know, or to, to do some, some wild ritual with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I think that you're probably right on the Thecla stuff. But I mean, but certain, and this is also like the injury, even if you don't, if you're uninterested in entertaining that, you know, any question of the historiographical stuff, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and like what happened when, and I'm, 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 I mean, I'm sure the, that Gene Wolfe's works are archived somewhere. It might be interesting to go and look at the versions of of the novel, but if if there are you know different versions preserved, but uh, whether you entertain that or not, it is interesting uh, that Severian chooses not to tell us that stuff. Right? He, you mm-hmm. know, he Severian, the author, you know, right. the, the autark, he knows all this stuff and <laughs> very specifically does not tell us like. And there, I met my idol who was stealing a body to eat it. You know, like right. that's not in there. Right. Sentence um, one of this book could have been like it could have been like Vonnegut, right? Listen, my girlfriend lives in my head. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, and go ahead, go ahead. Oh no, no, no. I was just I was gonna like continue the riff, but that's all we need. <laughs> uh, I think yeah, that it's worth good. saying too that like this ambiguity is the most uh I converted to Catholicism in my adult life and became obsessed with it thing in the world too. That mm-hmm. like, you know, Wolf has looked at the gospels and been like, all right, now wait a second. There's a lot of wording here that re- that recurs. Who started it? Where is it? What's the, who is sharing what from where? Like, and this is that mm-hmm. sort of project in some ways too, right? Who, who owns certain phrases? Oh, is it Thecla's or is it Severian's? Is mm-hmm. a fun ambiguity to play with. And it is grounded in the Synoptic Gospels in some way also, right? Like mm-hmm. this is a classic uh, a Bible nerd thing to start caring about. And to introduce it very literally here is is good, I think. Yeah, what is the... What's the ter- there's a very fun like uh cr- you know th- theology term there is uh, and I can't find it for I can't like quite the, remember the, it. The, the the hidden source right that the gospels are all working from there's mm-hmm. like a, a because of of certain phrasing that that appears in them that they're all working from an an uh, as yet un you know undocumented additional source mm-hmm. um I can't it's been a long time since I've read anything about that stuff but. You know, but that's Thecla's memories here. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, so they do that. They uh, have this thing. It, you know, weirdly enough, th- for this being so momentous, it's only commented on across like two pages, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And then it just starts being part of the novel, which I really like too. It's not belabored in that way. Um, it, it gets treated in the same way as the, uh, you know, the tower being a rocket ship, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like, 
we've put it together. We're kind of aware of it now. And, you know, now we're back into the fantasy novel. And he gets a task from Vodalus. He has a dream of Thecla that they're like hanging out together. Wakes up. To, uh, right. And then gets the task from Vodalus, I think, the next day. Is that not true? Does anyone remember? I don't remember if the. I thought the, he got it before, no, maybe. Yes, before. Because my memory before. is like how you're it works right. is Vodalus before the supper is like, all right, so you're going to go to the House Absolute and meet my spy there. And Severian's like, I am. Yeah, uh, yeah, and then yeah, all yeah. of this happens. And then Severian wakes up basically when everyone else is already gone. Like, you know, there's like wrappers and like, you know, crumpled paper on the ground <laughs> and in the forest clearing. <laughs> <laughs> and Jonas is a like, baby wow. Pig. And a baby baby. Yeah. And a baby baby. There's definitely a cooler of the Al- the leftover Alzabo juice uh, somewhere <laughs> spilled over. It's it's yeah. a mess um, out there. These teens. It was the worst possible time, perhaps, but it was also the only time. I asked, this is Severian talking to Jonas, how much do you remember about the woman last night? Nothing. Jonas dodged the black, uh, loosed the cream's reins and vaulted up their plain chest. Uh, I didn't need. No, no, they're riding horses. Oh, that's right. right. The cream is the cream color. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, sorry, it was the chest was the previous one. Yes, yes. Uh, Vo- I didn't eat. Vodalus was watching you. But after they had swallowed the drug, no one was watching me. And anyway, I have learned the art of appearing to eat without actually doing it. I looked at him in astonishment. I've practiced several times with you. At breakfast yesterday, for example, I don't have much appetite, and I find it socially useful. As he urged the cream down a forest path, he called over his so- shoulder. As it happens, I know the route fairly well, at least for most of the way. But would you mind telling me wh- why we're going? They're going to the house absolute. Dorcas and Jolenta will be there, I said, and I have to do an errand for our liege Vodalus. Because we were almost certainly watched, I thought it better not to say I had no intention of performing it. Here, lest this account of my career run forever, I must pass very quickly over the events of several days. As we rode, I told Jonas all that Vodalus had told me, and much more. We halted at villages and towns as we found them, and where we halted, I practiced such of my craft as was in demand. Not because the money I earned was strictly necessary, for we had the purses of the Chatelaine Thea had given us, much of my fee from Saltus, and the money Jonas had obtained from the man-ape's gold, but in order to allay suspicion. So they have like a whole other fantasy novel of adventures in here, right? There's like seven Robert E. Howard stories that occur in the middle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But notably here, um, so one, we get like, and and that's just it. You know, as you're saying, uh, everyone else is gone. They get on the horses, they leave. Destriers, whatever. Um, But but also the, the, like, the piece here is that they, that, that Jonas knows the way. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Jonas has traveled up through here a bunch of times, it seems. Seems like it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to observe just, like, one one of my favorite little jokes in this section, which is that, and Severian eventually makes it, makes it explicit, but when he is talking with Vodalus uh, prior to the supper, uh, the knight in Saltus, when he ran out to meet what he thought oh, might have been yes. Thecla, he yeah, stole so Vodalus's horse from the inn yard. <laughs> Because Vodalus is like, I thought to meet you, but I like went to town and couldn't find you. And then I found out someone had stolen my mount. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so funny. It's so perfect. Yeah, it's such a weird little farce in there. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's very funny. Or well, undercuts Vodalus in a really nice way. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 a very he's just a guy. He's, he's just, just a guy. Some dude. He's another guy. It's all just guys. <laughs> and then Severian, you know. <laughs> oh, the the last thing before we kind of move to the into the house absolute thing. I, I read it as part of the summary, but um, you know, uh 
at the beginning of the, the stuff where they're kind of like hanging out with the Vodalari, where uh, Jonas says, you know, I, I even read the quote out, those ancient families are the newest, he's talking about exultants. Yeah. Those ancient families are the newest of all. In ancient times, there were nothing like them, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, are not, they are not the same, right? Jonas they're is new. not like an exultant. Their average human being is not, Agia is not like an exultant. They are very mm-hmm. tall. They are differently shaped. They are, they're alien people. They're alien people. They're alien hybrid people. This is a new voice you've done. I don't know this voice from you normally. They got triangle heads. This is like a little, like a <laughs> uh, uh, Brian Alvarez video character that you're doing. You're very close to one of like the intern shit guy. I don't know if you I know do that need guy. to have one of those. Uh, Jordo, can you put like a little like vocal like thing on this, if you don't mind, right? <laughs> they're alien. The, the exultants are alien people. Yeah, they're exactly. Yeah, you're very close. <laughs> they're not the same. But no, it's just it is me just banging the drum over and over again that uh, exultants are not just like rich people, right? Because the they had rich people are, in the era of, of right, Jonas's right. past. Yeah, right. right. They had rich people. Jonas is explicitly saying here they are they have been invented since I lived here previously, or you know lived with other human, human beings, not on a spaceship. They've been invented since then, and we didn't have shit like them. You know, they were completely different. And trust me, dog, I know a thing or two about invented people. <laughs> yes. I decided what kind of guy I wanted to be invented like. This is like when I came back to America from studying abroad and the Kardashians had blown up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Kardashians can eat a leak in a single gulp. Yeah, basically. <sighs> But uh, but yeah, I just want to you know every time this comes up in the book, I do want to hit it again. You know, yeah. I don't think they're grays, but I do think they're kind of like you know the space jockey from from Alien. Yeah. Um, uh, also, just real quick before we advance further, it is it is Vodalus gives him a mission to go do some spy shit. He gives yeah, him man. a little piece of steel, which we've not gotten back to quite yet, uh, and and he says, "All right, you're going to get there, and someone's going to transmit some instructions." Um, uh, and, and you're going to join up with your old crew cause they're going to get let in and you'll be able to join them because you've worked with them before. And, uh, and then give this, give this thing, the one who will say, who shall say to you, the, the, Pel- the Pelagic Argosy sights land. And should he give you any message in return, you may entrust it to whoever says to you, I am for, from the Quercine Penetralia. And, uh, you know, Severian's like, uh... I don't know the words you just, I can't, there's no way I could remember the words you just said. And explicitly in the text, he goes, then lying, I cannot remember those words, which is extremely funny. <laughs> Truly, I've forgotten them already. Yeah, okay, okay, Severian, great. Yeah, and Vonlis says, you'll remember it. Shut yeah, up. Yeah, shut, shut up. up. You you'll remember. remember. I know who you are. I've had people yeah. following you. I know your whole fucking thing. You can't yeah. shut up about how you can't forget things. <laughs> Which is the other uh, half of this, yeah. right? It's like Vodalus is just a guy, but it is clear that Vodalus thinks of Severian as just a guy and someone yeah. he can use, right? Like yeah. he has that, that whole thing where he's like, listen, man, you took three, you and jo- Jonas took three people from me. Now it's time to see if you two can be worth more to me uh, as two than those three were, you know, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. great. Also, this is just super brief, but the five guys who come to bring them to the Alzabo Supper, uh, who are like the guards who are like, ah, oh, comrades, but they say that while holding their weapons out at them is extremely choice. Vibes <laughs> <laughs> atrocious. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a good crew. Uh, they, 
start riding across the countryside. They're kind of following the river, but sometimes on the road and not on the road. And then they meet up with an, a, a, what, an Ulan? Is yeah, what they're an called? Ulan, yeah. Which, are, which were the guys who were in the road, like, just laying waste to people at the, at the tunnel. Um, what, the they gate. run into the Ulan yeah. first or they run into the, the nodules first? Oh, they do run into the nodules first. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. yeah they're, they're just like going right about. Yeah. Sorry, I'm getting my, my sequence of events wrong. They're just going about and then uh, some big old bats start flying around them. Yeah. And no. he cuts one of them in half and like a Dragon Quest enemy, it splits <laughs> into two. Yes. Yeah, this is where Dragon Quest got oh, it. Yeah. Kicks so much ass. It kicks so much ass. Tell us about it, Michael. Tell us about what kicks ass about it. Well, because so Jonas and Severian are just, you know, riding along through the countryside. And then these things. uh, So part of part of the magic here um, that's really difficult to uh, communicate without just like cracking open the book and starting to read for you again uh, is that Wolf has such a really uh, delicate and masterful way of describing Uh, or having characters, this is how I should put it, of having characters describe things that they are not very capable of describing or that like are hard to describe, are weird to describe in some way. Because these nochals that you've talked about, we've compared them to bats, right? Uh, But as they're riding along, these things come like whipping out of the darkness. And uh, Severian talks about them as if they're like, he compares them to like tissue paper. Mm-hmm. Right. Like yeah. it, it, there's like, you know, bats is almost like too, too solid to describe what these things are. Right. There, there's some like to me, bat connotes too much of a thing with like a body. There is a way in which these things, uh, as Severian describes them, uh, feel almost like uh, uh, the way I picture them actually is that, you know, sometimes if you're watching a movie from actually, this is a good one. If you're watching something like uh, the lawnmower man, right. An an old film uh, with like early digital effects where they just had like a digital effect on top of the, uh, uh, Mm. the frame. Right. And it, it is so clearly something that does not, that was not on the uh, set when they were shooting uh, that is not actually being seen by the actors who are reacting to it. And yet, nevertheless, in the image that you get, it is there, right? It is a part of the action, a part of the drama. Uh, that's almost how this feels to me, where th- these these nuptials are described uh, in such a way that it's like they feel like a glitch in reality more than they feel like an actual animal, uh, because they, you know, you cut them apart. Uh, you feel like a, a heat, right? Heat yeah, comes that out section, I caught it with a two-handed stroke. It was like cutting air. And I thought the thing too light and tough for even that bitter edge. Uh, an instant later, it parted like a rag. I felt a brief sensation of warmth as though the door of an oven had been opened, then soundlessly shut. So right. good. <laughs> right. So it's like this piece of tissue paper comes whipping through the air. I cut it in half with my sword. Uh, the heat of a massive oven came out. And then suddenly there are two p- pieces of evil tissue paper flying around. <laughs> right. And then the next page, you get the thing where uh, they're talking. And Jonas is like, yeah, if we could kill one of these one of these horses, that might do it. what we need here. And I'm like, I don't want to kill one of the horses, Jonas. Uh, is it blood they want? And Jonas says, no, heat. And it's just, mm, like, it's just good fantasy creature fight time, you know? Ugh. And Jonas continues to know shit. Jonas continues to have run into stuff before already because <laughs> yes. 
He's seen stuff, man. Well, yeah. So Severian says, you sound as though you've encountered them before. Uh, and, and Jonas says, we docked once at a port where they're used in ritual murders. I supposed it was inevitable that someone would bring them home. But these are the first I've seen here. Uh, mm. And then he talks about uh, uh, he, he gives us more like basically like uh, uh, crash courses and how these things work. But uh just that's such a good characterization moment for Jonas too, right? That not only has he seen them before, but it's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, I saw them at a port where they were used for ritual murders. So, you know, you go out in the world and sometimes you end up in a place where there are ritual murders and the mechanism for enforcing these ritual murders are evil glitch tissue paper bats that seek heat. Okay. <laughs> uh, this was the moment where I realized that Jonas uses all the same letters as Jason as Jason and the Argonauts. Oh, and I know yeah. there's other Jonas, Jonah stuff going on that people like to talk about, but mm-hmm. Uh, the the fact is that he is a guy who has been sailing the stars and going on Greek adventure. Like, that mm-hmm. is what his life has been until, you know, um, that's how he knows all this stuff. And that's on top of, like, you can, there's a lot of this stuff. And then in the coming chapters, that you'll get back to Greek myth again. Uh, but but I had never thought about Jonas in this way until this rereading this section. Uh, and it it does just, like... That is some of the energy he carries, you know, mm-hmm. is that he has been on the Odyssey. He's been, I know the 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 Argo and the Odyssey are different, you know, things. But that is that is the type of energy he's bringing, and de- and it's delivered in that sort of way. Oh, what is mm-hmm. this strange creature? Someone on board knows. Someone on board has heard mm-hmm. the legend or encountered them in port or whatever. Um, this yeah, is also not the he's point. He's a different. He's a different genre character, right? I That's mean, exactly uh, right. And, and also. Uh, uh, Severian still has not picked that up. Yes. Right. This, point, yeah. he, this isn't goes, the section where he goes, which island? Is this where he says that? Yes. He's like, what island was that on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where did they do that? <laughs> it's, where is this island? That's what Severian says. And then uh, Jonas, he looked at me curiously. <laughs> is it far from the coast? I've always wanted to see Ouroboros. That's what uh, Severian calls like, you know, the edge of the world and like the ocean mm-hmm. there. Oh. Though I suppose it is very dangerous. Very far, Jonas said in a flat voice. Very far indeed. <laughs> Yeah, Jonas is like, what, kid, what the fuck are you talking about? Jonas giving us the Jim Halpert look. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's looking directly at the camera, right? Um, Where is yeah, this it, island? It, Severian, so, but yeah, my man. I, you know, if if Severian's in a fantasy story, and, yeah. and he is at this point, right? He's living in this little fantasy story. Then Jonas is in like a science fiction adventure serial, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he is he is uh, Buck Rogers, right? Mm-hmm, um, right. And you know, he has been on wagon train in space and seen all the like different people and the ways they do things. And uh, that so what happens here is fascinating, specifically based on stuff that happens later, because he says, um, you know, what you what you just read, right? Of course, someone would have brought them home, right? Mm-hmm. And so he knows home, right? right? Like he knows that Earth is home, which later when he says this is Earth, which which would make him th- you think he doesn't know that it's Earth. There, there's some some confusion here, and there's also kind of a, a big question mark in the fandom too about like what does all of this mean, and and is Jonas huh. Jonas here? Um, uh, and we can figure that out as we we go along in this reading. But I just wanted to flag that here really quickly that that he says bringing them home. Um, right, so. right. I have an I have a I not an answer, but I I thought I understood what was happening there, but maybe I maybe I don't. We'll get there when we get there. And in fact, before we get there, we should talk about the Ulan because that's what colored part of what I thought was going on there later. Mm-hmm. Um, the yeah, way they like kill a, these guys. Go ahead. 
Oh, no, yeah, I was just going to say, like, the, the Oolong is just, like, in the middle of the road, and Severian actively prays for him to be murdered <laughs> yes. instead of Severian, and it works. His life for mine, new son, by your anger and my hope. Yeah. yeah. It's sick. And yeah. it's a great— yeah, Not it's my a, life for ire, you know no, what I mean? No. Not the classic phrase. Uh, uh, the, kill is, that guy, not me, God. Please. It please is do a really it. Kill that good— guy tabletop solution to the problem, which is let's go find one of those guys who has the heat, the heat sword, Mm -hmm. and then that'll call them to him and then they'll eat him instead of me. Mm -hmm. And then they do. They, and I mean, eat him is actually not exactly right. They go into him. Mm -hmm. uh, Through his nose and his mouth. Through his nose and his mouth. And Jonas has to pull them out and put them in a little container. And they do throw that into the, into the river actually yeah. right um but like the the act of yanking them out through his nostrils and mouth and stuff is great it's such a good little and then and then and this is the part that I want to talk about is Severian's like no wait wait wait, wait. I can bring him back to life I have the claw let me you know and Jonas is like he's not dead he's fucked up we got to just get out of here we shouldn't be here at all and Severian begins to apply the the uh, claw to him to bring him back and I this I don't know how I didn't read this at the time. And Jonas leaves here. Yeah, He's Jonas like, like, I'll bye. catch up with you later. Yeah. Like, I'm fucks right off. <laughs> yes. Um, the Ula, and also <laughs> Hador shows up in the middle of all this <laughs> yes, chaos yes. agent. And the Ulan gets up and he tries to rise and he's like, what is this place? And uh, Severian says, only a stretch of old road besides Giel. He shook his head and pressed it with his hands. And he's confused. He doesn't know what – he barely knows his own name or he barely knows who he is. He's like, I'm Cornet Mineus. Uh, what's what's going on? Where am I? And it, it only struck me during this reading. So he brings him back to life or at least brings him back from the brink of death. Mm-hmm. Hey, did the Claw of the Conciliator resurrect Dorcas? Because this is how she was when she first appeared. She didn't know where she was. She felt confused. She felt lost. And then she slowly got her senses a little bit more, which is the same arc that this Ulan goes on in the like three pages of this. And I'd never really considered the, the idea that the claw, which Severian had by then, if mm-hmm. it in fact had been given to him by or snuck to his into his saber tash or whatever by um, uh, Agia, could have raised Dorcas from inside of the waters. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm putting that to the reader. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't yeah. know how I didn't pick it up. Anyway, I think this is part of why Jonas is so fucked up later also, on top of the stuff that happens to him mm-hmm. directly. But because – oh, because the claw is used on him? Yeah, because the, when mm-hmm. the claw brings someone back, it it seems like it it confuses them. Um, and also Jonas is a kind of a special type of boy, mm-hmm. uh, which right. – also, and also has seemingly been electrocuted. And it seems like electricity might do something different to the to the type of being he is. You mm-hmm. know? To a guy made like 75% it, out of metal. Out of metal, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah, I, I, I do think that there's, I mean, there, there's a question of who is Jonas um, yeah. that, that we'll get to, you know, is, is Jonas the guy on the Mary chip or is Jonas the body that sometimes intervenes with the guy on the Mary chip? Um, mm. And is... Uh, is the fleshly head of Jonas different from the machine insides from the rest of a Jonas? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's like productive questions to be asked there that obviously are in conversation with uh, Severian Thecla, right? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, what does yeah. it mean to be, uh, to have multiple consciousnesses 
within a singular body acting as one. You know, right, right. It's almost like this thing called the autark. I don't know if you got have y'all heard about this thing where it's like a whole bunch of different stuff and it's like all you know under one thing. It's hmm. for Commonwealth. It's pretty wild, oh, weird. But um, but yeah. So yeah, he brings that back to life, and then Hathor shows up with his with Buzek, his buddy, and Hathor's like, Buzek's only seen you perform twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, because this is this is what's beautiful about that little paragraph where he's like, Jonas and I had a whole bunch of other adventures here. It's fine. And you realize like, oh, Ether and his buddies were like following them as like the road crew or whatever. Yeah. And they like get on a boat to catch up because they're not on horses. They're just walking by. And then Severian truly gets on his horse and just rides away from all of these people. He tells the Ulan, he's like, yeah, your your buds will be here at some point to help you out. Bye. And he <laughs> just rides away. Uh Another, uh, uh, like, an important point about these uh, nochals, just to, like, flag it here, because it didn't really come through, I think, in our discussion, um, is that these aren't just uh, uh, things that, like, wandered out of the wood, or actually, they, they appear to be things that just kind of, like, wandered out of the woods or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Um, but because Jonas has not seen them before in on Earth, uh, he, I think, is the one who says, like, someone sent these to us, yeah. right? These were yeah. loosed on us. And so uh, that's like a big question mark right now is like, OK, so what's going on there? Like, is that true? And also, if it's true, then who is who is in pursuit? Who who loosed these things on Severian yeah. and Jonas? So. It's like a hunting falcon, except what if mm-hmm. when you cut a hunting falcon in half, it turned into two hunting falcons mm-hmm. and they could get all up in your face. <laughs> they you do know? that. I guess I do get all that. I, I do, do love that. that there is a, it's, there's the most Gene Wolf ass discussion where uh, Severian's like, well, why don't you just, you know, they're talking about like the multiplying thing. And Jonas says, well, you know, the size of its wings has, you know, determines its flying speed. Yes. <laughs> and he says, otherwise they would just tear them up into a lot, into, into confetti and throw them <laughs> into the air at the beginning. They have to be big enough. It's like not a thing anyone would talk about but gene wolf was like i gotta explain why you wouldn't do that yeah. <laughs> i gotta tell him but on the other hand if like, you cut them up like that on, on in like a defensive maneuver you'll end up surrounded by them and they'll eat you so you can't yeah. just fight them directly yeah again just there's a, there's a, a lot of explanation about the combat mechanism yes. of the no tools yeah again the monster which manual as far is as here. i can remember Never come up again. <laughs> well, they're supposed to come up in your D&D game at home, Cameron. You're supposed to bring these in. See how your players respond. Badly. They're going to die. <laughs> Everyone I've ever played D&D with is going to respond to these things very they're, bad. They're going to get smothered by tissue paper, my man. <laughs> yes, 100%. Uh, maybe you didn't listen to Sword Coast, Coast to Coast, but I don't think I could have leashed, unleashed these on that on the team. Um, but yeah, so they start rolling around, and then they find like, uh, you know, like a Beverly Hills gravel pathway, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, like up the road. And Jonas already knows they're kind of near the house absolute because someone told him while well, he's been riding these roads and, and around the roads in the past, he saw an island out in the river, Guyol. And when he was near that island, he met some people on the road who said, hey, the house absolute's here. Be careful. So he kind of knows they're around, but no one really knows where it is because you can be inside of it without knowing you're inside of it. Well, they find a gravel pathway and they start kind of deciding what to do. And some dudes in straight up Metal Gear Solid stealth camouflage uh, roll out of the bushes and arrest the shit out of them. This is after they've seen the statues, right? The living. Or was that before it? Do they see? I, he sees a white thing in the woods. I don't know. If you're he right. Sees he sees. Yet. I think you're right. He sees the white thing in yeah. the woods, and Jonas is like, "I didn't see anything like that." 
Right. Then they're captured and then they're like pushed through into the gardens. And that's when they see like the whole retinue of statues. Before we get there, there's also that bit where, again, Severin is is becoming Thecla in front of Jonas uh, over and over. Um, He he they're riding towards towards the house. Absolute. And. Severian says, quite suddenly, I recalled this about, yes, I said, once Josepha and I, with some others, made a fishing party and came here. We crossed by the Twisted Oak. Jonas looked at me as though I were mad, and for a moment I felt that I was. I had ridden hunting often before, but this was a charger I sat, no hunter. My hands raised themselves like spiders to pluck out my eyes, and would have done so if the ragged man beside me had not struck them down with his own hand, which was of steel. You are not the Chatelaine Thecla, he said. You are Severian, a journeyman of the torturers, who was unfortunate enough to love her. See yourself. He held up the steel hand so that I could see a stranger's face, narrow, ugly, and bewildered, reflected in its work-polished palm. I remembered our tower then, the curved wall of smooth, dark metal. I am Severian, I said. That is correct. The Chatelaine Thecla is dead. Great. Incredible. Jonas holding <laughs> up his hand that is like polished enough to be a mirror so that Severian can see his own face in it is so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, oh, we, we are wrong, Michael. The, so they basically are looking at the, the first big statue that they saw. Um, they they are looking at it, and that is when they are grabbed. Okay, all right, right. It, this is the oh, right. This it is, enraptures them with its like terrible beauty. Yeah, it is an it was an apparition, a thing of beauty and horror. Yeah, I I love every uh, uh, this you know especially at this point we got to be careful about just reading the book to everybody. But it, you know it's the beginning <laughs> of chapter fourteen, and they're like looking at the statue and they're like, holy shit, this statue's cool. And then, because it's like this big, slow-moving Guillermo del Toro-looking thing. Well, and right? they say explicitly, mm-hmm. like, hey, there's a thing that exists in the world, and it's unlike anything you've ever seen before. They're, they're, it's different than us. And this wasn't that. This is a statue yes. of that. Uh, but then, you, but what I really like about the kind of formal move here is yes. you get that, like the three paragraphs, and then he goes... I'll just pause to reread what I've written of it. And I see that I failed utterly to convey all the essence of the thing. And then he goes on for a full page being like, all right, this is what the statue was like. Well, and the important thing that we get from those three paragraphs, which also do kick ass, like it just kicks ass forever, right? This is <laughs> so good. The, the, this whole, like the whole thing here, right? The sort of like uh, uh, escalation or structure, right? It is, it is about sort of the sublimity, right? The beauty and the horror and the terror of this thing. Uh, uh, the little detail that, uh, like, present writing Severian lets slip through. Somewhere among the swirling worlds I am soon to explore, there lives a race like and yet unlike humans. And he talks about how, like, perfect they are. They look just like humans, except they have, you know, they have, like, the same features and everything, except they're all even more perfect. And they express emotions we have never felt, so that for us to see their faces is to look upon some ancient and terrible alphabet of feeling at once supremely important and utterly unintelligible, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, like... I'm all always waking up in the morning and thinking god i just wish i could access you know a different alphabet of feeling <laughs> right so like severian is like imagine like on another planet in space which i'm going to btw <laughs> Very i'm soon. going to space just mm, letting that slip uh uh, on another planet, there is an incredibly beautiful alien species that looks like the most beautiful people you can imagine. And this is a statue of them. Right. Right. Uh, and then that, yeah, gets into everything you were talking about. Well, and it's a so, giant image of them. Right. So, yes, because he says explicitly, he's like, 
these perfect other alien beings that look like us, but but better. They're no taller than us, you know? Mm-hmm. They're not exultants. Let's not go crazy. <laughs> but these these are giant statues of those people. Uh, and and they it moves in um, a, a drugged or sleeping yet not unsteady way, you know? Mm-hmm. Real Dark Souls time. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of Dark Souls in this. Going back to the Votalist stuff where Votalist is like, there's two paths before us. There's the maintaining or the stepping into the darkness with the black. It's like, yeah, it's okay. It's all here. You know? Yeah. I know Miyazaki read this book. <laughs> I don't actually know that uh, historically. I don't actually know that. But Send an email. You got there, you got to be a person oh. away from a person who could send Miyazaki an email, right? Right. I don't think so. I don't. Miyazaki's so locked up at this point. You know what I mean? A decade yeah. ago, maybe, but post Bloodborne, Miyazaki is not someone you can just like reach out and get stuff to. Just whenever Patrick talks to Miyazaki next, just just make him do it. Patrick on a podcast just recently said, "I don't rate for Miyazaki anymore." So, <laughs> oh, damn, yeah, damn. Um, so. Uh, back back to this. Uh, speaking of like Dark Souls, there is some like real. It, it feels like Dark Souls, and at the same time, I don't know what it is about the writing in this section that I can see it very clearly as like sort of the rapid like dissolving montage of them going through the gardens and seeing all of these bizarre things that Severian talks about. They like pass the uh, place where. Uh, a bunch of people seem to be having a garden party and he recognizes the theater troupe out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as they're walking, they're being like joined by more and more of these statues, not all of which it seems look like these perfect alien people. Some of them have even different and weirder shapes. And you know, I can picture it again. Like there, there are very few moments in this uh, in these books where I can sort of like see how they could be filmed. But this is one of those things where, like, for whatever reason, I've got it in my head. Like, we've got the Seeger Ross on the soundtrack or something, <laughs> right? As they walk through these gardens, this these surreal, like, interludes as more and more of these giant statues start uh, joining with them. Uh, and then they, like, go down into kind of this pit. In the center mm-hmm. of this dark garden, supported by scaffolding and green with verdigris, hung a set of gongs. It appeared to me that they were intended to be rung by the wind, yet it seemed impossible that any wind would ever reach them. So I thought at least until one of the Praetorians opened a heavy door of bronze and worm-scarred wood in one of the dark stone walls. Then a draft of cold, dry air blew through the doorway. House Absolute has has HVAC um, mm-hmm. and set the gongs to swaying and clashing, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so like they're they're like going into the House Absolute and Severian like looks back to kind of the pit that they've descended into. Right. Like one one last glance toward the surface and looking up at the gongs, which the Praetorians did not prevent me from doing. I saw the statues, 40 at least, who had followed us all the way across the gardens. They now rimmed the pit motionless at last and looked down on us like a freeze of sin. Tafts. A twenty four presents the book of the new. Uh-huh. Song. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, I watch just, it. Oh. You know. Oh. Yeah, me too. I'm not too good for but it, but not right now. I won't. No, yeah, no, <laughs> or I won't talk about watching it. <laughs> um, <laughs> the uh, before we go further, I think we're about to talk about the prison, presumably. Yeah, yeah. Can I read the bit from the arrest? And I know we're just reading the book here because I do yeah, think again, sure. Severian talks about this agency stuff. Do I mm-hmm. have freedom? Is the next section of this book right? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Nine tenths of life, so it seems to me, consists of these syringes. That's exactly, that's the mm-hmm. line. My captor now lifted the wire noose until I stood. I was conscious, as I have been on several similar occasions, that we were in some sense playing a game. We were pretending that I was totally in his power, when in fact, I might have refused to rise until he had either strangled me or called over some of his comrades to carry me. I could have done several other things as well, seized the wire and tried to wrest it from him, struck him in the face. I might have escaped, been killed, been rendered unconscious or plunged into agony, but I could not actually be forced to do as I did. At least I knew it was a game. And I smiled as he sheathed Terminus asked, and it led me to where Jonas stood. And then, and then yes, at the end, how like us, uh, there was no reply from Jonas. Um, uh, how like us were to those animals while walking patiently, they knew not where, their massive heads following the thin strips of leather, you know, like cows or something being, being led around. I guess the horses actually specifically. Nine tenths of life, so it seems to me, consists of these surrenders. Um, this, this is mm-hmm. the, you know, the Altarks, the new Altarks theory of, of free will, of, mm-hmm. of society, of societal pressure, of a cultural determinism or something, you know? I mean, it's straight up just Sartre, it, right? Yeah, like, it really this is. This is being in nothingness. This is, is, you know, in the last instance, we all have the ability to kill ourselves. Yeah, I mean, uh-huh. you know, that's, we have radical free will in that regard. Yeah. That's, that's the kind of Sartrean maneuver and this is exactly that right like anything else any moment of the compression of actual agency is is a social illusion right um that is bracketed by the actual agency we have which is radical free will we can do literally anything although there are massive consequences for doing those things mm-hmm. um and yeah i think i think that's a really what you just said at the end is very important to hone into that this is the new autarchs theory of of like what people can do in the world. Right. And and it seems maybe we'll be judged thusly, you know, um, or, or we'll be, yeah. the world will be reworked in such a way. I, I don't know. Well, let's talk about the prison. What's this prison's deal? It's cool. It's, I mean, it's like deeply sad in a thousand yeah, ways, so but like sad. what a great idea. Well, and it's, it's, it, <clears throat> it is so much what book of the new sun is doing, which is, Oh, wait, uh, sorry, by the way, they they see everybody else going in just before we talk about the prison. Right, right, They right. see Dr. Talos, Bald Anders, Jolenta, Dorcas. They see them from afar as they're being arrested, and they see them, like, doing their retinue with a bunch of other people into the house absolute. So they know that the rest of the crew is there getting ready to perform a play. Sorry, also, to- we get we get the thing of being like, oh, my God, the, the house absolute and the gardens around it are breathtaking and carefully arranged by a master intelligence which I've since, which I've since learned, is that a father in Europe? Of course, <laughs> yes. of course it was. Of course it was. But which also master intelligence, by the way, feels like Gene Wolfe saying a vast AI computer. I'm not saying that's what Father Anir is. We know Father Anir has a body, though. I guess also we know there's robot people now. So, yeah. <laughs> but master intelligence, great, great, uh, uh, 70 sci-fi way of saying like the ship's computer. IMO. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so the, the 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 prison, which we come to learn is called the antechamber, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the sort of foyer, right? Uh, uh, it is uh, such a great example of the thing that uh, the Book of the New Sun is doing constantly, which is taking these uh, staples of like science fiction genre, like world building, set dressing, whatever, and then kind of spinning it, right? Putting just enough spin on it that it comes off in, in kind of the weirdest way possible. So this is a, it is effectively a prison. 
that began its life as an actual antechamber, right? As a as a waiting mm-hmm. room. We learn this eventually, uh, but at some point in its history, uh, just became like it, it. It becomes like this. Uh, uh, I guess you know, like high level joke about like bureaucracy, right? It's like, oh, okay, you're here to see the autark. Well, like sit down here in the waiting room and never leave. Do you like, think that they, they knock down the walls because there are too many people in the original small waiting room? Oh. To, and then they're like, oh, we got to knock down a wall. And eventually the whole building became the waiting room. Absolutely. But the right? Altar yeah. traditionally just hung out in another build or another room in this office complex. And mm-hmm. people would be let in and the Altar would be like, all right, what'd you do? <laughs> well, we also learn that this isn't even the Autark's wing anymore. Right. I mean, maybe the whole absolute is, but this is Father Inure's wing specifically. Right. So this mm-hmm. like predates the... We, we have known since for a very long time, it seems, that there has been a kind of power differential split between Father Inure and the Autark, right? Like, they, they are operating in the same thing to the extent where people don't know where orders come from, right? right? Like, the, they are self-same in some ways. Uh, you know, Father Inure is this kind of eternal bureaucrat kind of dude. Um, but also, this is his wing. You know, the house, part of the house absolute, the place where the Autark used to hang out the most, right. you know, the antechamber to his like room. He's not even there anymore. Um, so this this is very, very, very old. Mm-hmm. You know, who else is old? Uh, some of the people and families living here. <laughs> right so what i put in the show doc is that this is basically like a a, a fallout <laughs> settlement is. right this is like a place you would wander into in a fallout game oh. where it's like yeah we are the people who uh uh w- got stuck in the vault that was uh fashioned after a casino and we all love casinos <laughs> now right like that's actually a thing from fallout uh new vegas uh and this is like, yeah, we are the people who got forced into a waiting room. And now we have lived in this waiting room for seven generations. And our entire way of understanding the world and the entire like culture that we have developed is predicated upon being eternally imprisoned in a waiting room. It's so funny because you learn eventually. And there's more there's like real stuff we have to dig into here, obviously. But you learn eventually that like. Oh, it's feeding time. Everyone's going to go get the food. And it's yeah. like a plate of pastries and a big urn of coffee. My dude, it's Bagel Thursday. You got to get <laughs> out of this office. This is not a prison. Right. Every day it's Bagel Thursday. Every day is Bagel Thursday. It, yeah, it's it's someone's birthday every, you know what I mean? It's yes. like go hang out in, in, in the kitchen and have cake in the break room because it's someone's birthday. It is, it is... This is the saddest thing it's in all so of these books. It's so funny. Like, really and truly. It's sad. Uh, You're right. It's sad. I'm sorry that I'm laughing at these poor people. <laughs> no, it's funny. It is funny. Like, it, I mean, it's Gene Wolfe doing both things, right? It is yes. so dark yes. Yes. that it is extreme. It's Thomas Ligotti level, uh-huh. like, yeah. antipathy uh, to the human. Oh, yeah. Uh, and also, like, it just does so much work to be like, because, you know, they're not just seventh generation uh, prisoners, no. as you said, because while they're explaining, uh, it's a family who is explaining their whole position to Jonas. And it really freaks Jonas out bad uh, for reasons that become very clear. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, they say that they're a seventh generation prisoner family. And then in the conversation, they reveal that they're like great 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 grandmother was also a seventh generation prison family so like they don't even understand what numbers are or like what the generation means right they've been there so long that that, that their frame of reference for the world 
is wholly destroyed. And they talk about leaving, you know, because Jonas is like, well, do you want to get out? And they're like, yeah, for a little while. And I'm, I would come back home, you know, like, well, like that's the, this is where I live. There's the minor version of that when it is when it is Bagel Thursday, when it's feeding time, and the, the, it's yeah. pastries time. They leave. They open the doors to the place and everyone gets fed or goes and gets their pastries, their danishes and whatnot out in the little like the lobby, the, the like entryway. Um, yeah. And and it's such a great little illustration of what Gene is trying to do here with the freedom and the the you know you're actually being chained by social pressure, not by a, an actual restriction of your free will. Um, uh, but because they leave, they they break the threshold. The threshold is not a barrier. It is not real in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, they yeah, could it's go not iron bars, right? Right. It's a door. Which is right. like just a straight wooden door. And I say Gene is doing this, but Severian is also yeah. doing this. Because Severian yes. has a very particular vision of what a prison is. And mm-hmm. he and wow, did he really, you know, we, uh, yet again, Severian looked out on the world and said, I bet it's just like my my guild mm-hmm. out there. And mm-hmm. is surprised. Well, I mean, because these are Severian. These prisoners are Severian. They're torturers. Right. 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 Like they are people. This gives you the clearest picture of what Severian was like in the previous book. Like his universe is small. Mm -hmm. He has been in it his entire life. He barely touches outside of it. And the only time he really, you know, as you were saying, crosses the threshold, right? Maybe is when he goes to the house of Zur, but mostly it's after he's actually kicked out, right? Like this is him. He is the prisoner, right? To each torturer, his client, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, To each prisoner, his prison. Uh, And it's such a clear you know, cleaving point for some of the arguments I think that this book is making, not Gene Wolfe making these arguments, because I don't know what Gene Wolfe thinks in, in in his brain, but certainly the things that Severian as a narrator returns to over and over again. And you're exactly right. This this is the the question of freedom, the question of agency, the question of systems, and the question of responsibility, right? right? Because we learn in this section that as soon as Severian becomes the autarch, he forces all these people to leave. Right. Doesn't free them. Well, and he forces them to leave. We've skipped one thing over, which is y'all mentioned yeah. the – I mean, we've skipped a lot. We'll have to – there's a lot here. Yeah, you mentioned. Lot. I the, mean, it's like half the reading. Yeah. You mentioned half, uh, You mentioned uh, uh, the older couple uh, who becomes the kind of um, – de facto yeah. you know, organizers and leaders of this place to some degree. They, like, they tell people where to sleep. They, they, uh, Lomer. Yep. And, um, uh, Michael, do you have it in front of you by any I chance? I do not. Uh, Nicorette. Nicor- Nicorette. Yeah. Yeah. Nicorette. Oh, Nicorette that's right. Gum. Nicorette. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course. Nicorette. Um, and, uh, oh, first of all, kids remember Nicorette gum. <laughs> Nicorette gum. Yeah. Of course. Um, uh, which I did. I, I was like, he can't be doing a Nicorette pun, right? This just has to be some ancient this, saint, yeah. probably, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's the gene. That's Wolf even maneuver. more depressing. That might be more depressing <laughs> than anything else here. If Nicorette is an ancient saint, yeah, it probably is. Um, Nicorette is here. Okay, Lomer is here because he got yep. caught. Saint Nicorette of the fifth century was a woman of Nicomedia who became a saint as a disciple of Saint John. There we go. Um, there we go. She uh, she left her. This is just Wikipedia. She left her home. Sp- she left her home to study theology and practice devotion and care for the poor in Constantinople. She worked as a physician and, and a healer. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she followed uh, Saint John Christ- Chrysostom to into exile. So into exile, huh? Yep, there you go. Well, so Lomer is here. Is there a St. Lomer also? That's a bad oh, let me St. Look it up. St. name. 
Saint Lomer, probably. Yep, Lomer. Yep. Saint. <laughs> yeah. How? Um, how? What? What was his crime? Because I can tell you what it was in the book. Yeah. Um, t- doesn't know. Looks like he is a prophet. Mm-hmm. Did some prophecy. Mm-hmm. Um, founded a monastery. Sure. Sure. Uh, Seemed easier to become a saint back then. I don't know. In the early 20th century, an event in the life of St. Lomer, an incident involving the theft of a, a saint's favorite, of the saint's favorite cow, was published in the Book of Saints and Friendly Beasts. Great. A, a collection of brief hagiographical tales for children. Oh, apparently he was so that? holy that savage wild beasts obeyed mm-hmm. when he commanded. Mm-hmm. All right. But so mostly probably just a, a saint reference, maybe nothing direct, but all, that book title, The Book of Saints and Friendly Beasts. <laughs> How about that? So very going to be reading from that next. But anyway, yeah. so we got Lomer and uh, and um, Nicorette. And you were going to talk about Nicorette because she is really interesting. Yeah. Lomer is here because he because he fucked up. He was a he did. He was he was going to sleep with the a Chatelaine who was 14 years old as a grown ass mm-hmm. man. A hundred percent. The moment of that is so wonderful because he's like, well, I, you know, due to, to what was going on between like my mistress, because he, he was serving another Chatelaine yes. and another one. And I was like tricked and, you know, it's kind of a little confusing. It's there's court politicking going on. And he's like, and, you know, I was caught, caught out with this other Chatelaine. And, uh, and he was like, he basically says she was 14, and so I was thrown here in order to be, like, judged by someone, and no one ever did it, because that's the way this prison works. And Nicorette, and it's the best moment of characterization for her, she goes, she was, you were 28. Yeah. You know, she is a, she is very attentive to the crime, and he doesn't say shit about it. That's kind of the right? end of Lomer. Lomer doesn't get to speak yeah. after this. Yeah, basically, basically He's, not. like, in yeah. scenes, but he is not a primary uh, interlocutor at that point. Nicorette is a volunteer. She says, someone must make amends for the evil of Earth or the new sun will never come. And someone must call attention to this place and the others like it. I am of an armager family that may yet remember me. And so the guards must be careful of me and of all the others while I remain here. Do you mean that you you can leave and will not? No, she said and shook her head. Her hair was white, but she wore it flowing about her shoulders as young women do. I will leave but only on my own terms, which is that all of those who have been here so long, they've forgotten their crimes, be set free as well. And then, of course, hearing that sends uh, a Severian into a trance thinking about the death of Thecla. So, right. right. What do we make of Nicorette and her position? Uh, saintly. Saintly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's maybe this is this the most directly saintly kind of person we've seen in these books so far? Yeah, Spent decades in this prison. Yeah, you'd mm-hmm. be hard pressed to like be able to point at anyone we've met up up until now who is just like out there trying to do good, mm-hmm. and is leveraging the her her status as an armager. Um, and we see we've already seen something like this. You know, if you make the comparison back to the torturer's tower, um, this was this is also true of certain clients, right? Who were either uh, armagers or were highly placed in the House Absolute, where they had to be treated with a degree of care, an extra degree mm-hmm. of care, um, because mm-hmm. what if they got freed? There was always a chance that they got freed. Mm-hmm. And so I here, mean, that's why Severian goes and gets the, or is right. instructed to get the books for Thecla, right? Exactly. Is that she might, she might get to leave, and you know, you don't want to be in her disfavor. Right. 
And so here, uh, Nicorette is using that theoretically to evoke change. Uh, uh, is it working? No. <laughs> Though, I guess in the end, uh, Severian lets it out, so... It does work. It works. It works. Uh, Trust the process. The, yeah, right. Well, and it's also the they here is really interesting. So Severian takes the they to be, the, you know, that they, they have forgotten their crimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Severian takes it to be, like, your own crimes. You know, like, when when will Severian, you know, uh, forget, you know, allowing Thecla to die, right? Mm-hmm. However we decided that that occurs, right? But the they could also be the autocracy, right? right? Like, no one knows why any of these fucking people are down here. And in fact, most of them have not committed a crime, right. or at least a big chunk of them haven't, right? Like, they have inherited, you know, in much the same way that uh, chattel slavery works, or in much the well, same way that prisons worldwide still actually work. You know, you can be born into imprisonment in lots of places in the world right now. Explicitly, not, none of them have committed crimes, right? because none of them have been judged. They're waiting we, to be yeah. judged. Right. They've been accused of crimes. Correct. That's all it right. takes to go to the prison, which, right. you know, again, real. This is really, this is real. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty, I mean, it, you know, it's the kind of Wolfian wink, right? Where, like, on one level, this is so absurd. They are sitting in a giant room with a drop ceiling, and they are fed uh, honey-sweetened coffee and bagels and pastries every day, twice a day. Because this was meant to be a place that you were in for two hours. This was not meant to, you know, it was a right. waiting room. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And yet it has become the most eternally tormenting place and maybe hell, right? Like in terms of like, what is the worst thing that could be happening to someone? Well, being born in the worm pit uh-huh. seems pretty bad. To be tortured, by the way, by the middle class for fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. You want to explain what that means? As you did in the, in the intro already, right? No, Michael, you can. Oh. You want to do it? I mean, so uh, it turns out that uh, Thecla and her cohort, one of their little amusements as they, you know, while their days here at the House Absolute, uh, one of their amusements is at night they don masks and they go into the antechamber with electrified whips and just uh, uh, beat these people. Yeah. And the people the don't even off. understand what's going on, right? They they think yeah. of them as like weird go and they also there's a uh there's like a green face that's seen, so there's also some sort of like projector thing going on that distracts people. Like there's the the antechamber is not just this waiting room, it has also accumulated all of these like mechanisms of uh like psychological and physical torture that that are now a part of it. Mm-hmm. And I really got the sense that Nicorette decided to do this. Uh, you know, decided to kind of become, um, you know, a sacrifice essentially for for justice. Um, I get the sense that she do- did that because she had been involved in that before. Mm-hmm. And the reason is that Lomer, when they are leaving, the last thing that Severian hears Lomer say to her in that first conversation is, do you think they'll come tonight? Uh, and so they're aware of like the reality of it. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the only connection or, or knowledge that the, that the kind of aristocracy has this room even exists at this point is because they go here to have their like pleasures. And so right. it, it is kind of interesting to think of, of uh, her as someone who was involved in that process and had an ethical moment, right? This moment of individual free will of looking at injustice and then sacrificing her life essentially to, uh, you know, as you said, Austin, trust the process um, that, you know, that that's that's a potential thing. Notably, Thecla did not do that. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, because right. Marion gets those memories of her like waiting with all of her friends to to come out and, and start in on the torturing. Uh, you say that the people in the prison are Severian, but also this is another thing that uh, uh, establishes a kind of parallel between Thecla and Severian, right? Mm-hmm. They were both uh, uh, torturers, uh, like they, to put it a different way, uh, society has created multiple places, uh, vantage points, right, where torture can happen, and Severian and Thecla inhabited those vantage points. Yeah, right. Yeah. And another great parallel to it, just to, to finish the the thought that that you were saying to Mindigo too, right? That uh, it's not just even that they're explicitly torturers is that this is such a way of life for Thecla that she might not have even recognized it as anything other than entertainment, right? Mm-hmm. It's that, an arcade I'm, to them. Right. right. Yes. Right. Right. Um, let's, so basically what happens here, Severian style, like pure plot, they have this conversation. He realizes what's going on, that they're all imprisoned. He learns about what the prison is and all this kind of stuff. He has Thecla's memories, um, or Thecla takes over his body entirely. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about the escape as one thing. But then he remembers basically where the fire escape is and hits a secret panel and just leaves. Um, and that's how, how they escape. It also might be where the elevators are, because the way it's described is that there are doors that seem to produce people um, more mm-hmm. often than not. Right. Uh, and it, that's an elevator. The thing you're talking about is an elevator door. Right. Um, uh, but uh, the, the before we have to talk about the family and the little girl, right? That's the other... Oh no! I was gonna like I thought we were just about to detour and like forty full minutes of Jonas talk. But, oh, I mean this uh, is this is the same thing though, right? Because yeah, sure. that family yeah. is Jonas, right? That or that isn't is well that family is what fucks up Jonas. Jonas yes. at the, when, when they come into the prison, the thing that we only kind of said briefly is people fall upon them to be like, what's it like outside? Who's the altar? Yeah. What's what's for dinner out there? Like what are people eating out there? What's music like out there? And Joan, you know, Severian manages to get safely pulled away by this this older couple. Jonas gets taken by this family. And we get that when he reunites with, with Severian, he's like, hey, yeah, I asked them for the name of the first prisoner, the most remote from where they counted their descent. It was Kim Lee Soon. Have you heard that name or anything like it? What if it was three words? Kim Lee Soon. And Severian's like, no. Severian says, no, most people just have like a like one name. Like Jonas or Hedor. Yeah, Severian. Or, yeah, Severian. You know, normal names. Yeah, um, one name. And, and if there's too many, they might get like a family name. But like that's not common, <laughs> right. he says. And Jonas is like, yeah, that, but Kim Lee Soong was definitely a common name when I was a kid. That's the kind of name that was always common. In fact... Have you heard of my ship, the Fortunate Cloud, and uh, which which is the sort of name of a ship that you know? Um, I, you've I've read many uh, white writers writing the name of uh, an East Asian you know warship named something like the Fortunate right. Cloud. I don't know sun how, rising in the east. Right, exactly. I don't know uh, how grounded in reality that is. It might be. It I might be reflecting no some idea. real naming tradition. Um, right. That is actual, but I've only read translations of stuff and read white writers doing this sort of shit. Um, right. So I don't know. But suddenly you're like, oh, when Jonas was a boy, Jonas was at least from or around some sort of East Asian culture, which has mm-hmm. seemingly not continued or does not reach this part of, of Earth now. Uh, and so begins Jonas's descent into reverie and memory and then pain unfortunately 
Because mm-hmm. he's already down low after this, right? He's already like in his even before the armagers or the the um uh, what's the one above armager but below Altark? What's uh, exultants show up mm-hmm. to torture here? Um, he's already like laying on the ground and being like, something's wrong, Severian. I don't feel good about stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, he immediately realizes they're in prison. Right. And, and what really panics him is talking to the family and realizing that they have been here for right. Like thousands of years, perhaps. Right. Like, like such a long time that like the notion of time is absent. Such a long time that they have a different understanding of black than Severian. Because at one point the little girl is like, um, Oh, you wear the same clothes that someone at a funeral wears. And he's like, oh, no, no one at a funeral would wear what I wear because it would be insulting <laughs> the dead because it would be suggesting that they'd been tortured by the guild or executed by someone like me. And that's what black means. And and for her and her family who've passed down stories and traditions of a time that has been erased, black is just what you wear to funerals. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. rules. Yeah, because she's like us, right? Yes. You know, like, yes. we're like, oh yeah, you wear black to a funeral, right? Yep. It was like 20th century America. Okay. But she's not like us. She just has the same stories we do and has mm-hmm. been born into, again, the 18th generation of people who live here now in yeah. this prison. And say, uh, I don't know, your body was 75% metal uh, and you might be a robot man. Mm-hmm. Um you might be panicked if you're uh, caught in a prison where no one is ever removed from it. <laughs> yeah. You're like, that might immediately stress you out to know that you're in prison for eternity. Yeah. 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 Jonas basically like throughout this chapter, he gets, uh, what do they call it? Uh, in, in, uh, is it materia sickness? Whatever happens to cloud in final fantasy seven, <laughs> right? Where he's like in the wheelchair and his head is just kind of lulling and he's just like saying uh-huh. things. Yes. Uh, yeah. It is kind of like, that. yeah, because yeah, because uh, Jonas is like, try- he's talking to Severian, but he's not really talking to him. He He's clearly like wigged out and he's like, uh, uh, Severian, the king was elected at the march field. Counts were appointed by the kings. That was what they called the Dark Ages. A baron was only a freeman of Lombardy. Uh, so, but I think was, this is a moment of clarity for Jonas. Yeah. I think so. The stuff that where I feel like he's out of time is where he's like, we must get power to the compressors before the air goes bad. That's him in the spaceship. He's still back there. When he's talking oh, about oh, yeah. that shit about the kings, I think what he is saying is, when I left here, we didn't have kings. And when I was on the when I was on the spaceship, the spaceship gave me books to read. And I read about a time when there were altarks, when there were kings and people vowed themselves to the king and blah, blah, blah. And I fucking came back here and it's like history went wrong. It's like we're still in the age of kings. It's like the kings kept going past when they were supposed to. What happened? And I think that that's him like, I actually think that that is, is, He's of his right mind there in a way that he can't actually talk to Severian in regular language here. But he's he's recognizing in a way that, yeah, Earth went backwards in some mm-hmm. way. We went back to the kings being appointed in the march field. Well, around that same point, he, like, turns away from Severian and starts speaking in, like, binary code or in Korean or something because they call it like a staccato language, right? Mm-hmm. Like you just start speaking a different language that Severian does not recognize whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's like, uh Oh yeah, that's, that seems bad for our, our uh, good friend Jonas here. Uh, but yeah, you're right, Michael. He, he is 
uh, having a real bad time and just kind of like randomly accessing all kinds of experiences. And this is also after he's been electrocuted and kind of beaten yeah. by these uh, uh, exultants who are like having fun mm-hmm. at the arcade. And after Severia has, has tried to like, oh, hey, are you, is your, are you all right? Let me check your skin. Oh no, your skin stops. Your skin <laughs> yeah. stops and the rest of you is metal all the way through. And yeah. again, he tries to use the claw on him to heal him around here. Well, so that's actually how he gets there, right? He, mm-hmm. he recognizes that Jonas is really hurt and it's dark. They've turned the lights off. And so Severian's like trying to hold the claw close and not let other people see it. Cause that's actually scary for them too, just right. to see any light at night. And he's rubbing it on uh, Jonas's body. And he's got like a big lesion on his back from being like burned maybe. And it is closing up and he's like following the lesion down. He's just like doing the good work here. And he's like, wait a minute, your butt is made of metal. <laughs> Holy shit. You're metal all the way down. Um, And yeah, like 75% of his body is just like, he's C-3PO down there. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like straight up. He's C-3PO down there. That's that's better than he's a Ken doll down there. That's. (laughs) Yeah. So this is. Oh, my word. (laughs) This is when Jonas is like, oh, yeah, no, we crashed. The doc wasn't there anymore. Uh, The only thing we could salvage to help me was biological material where he's really starting to ramble. Yeah. Oh. So yeah, basically what happens is their spaceship, the what the Martin it's not the marvelous cloud, it's the fortunate it's the, cloud. The fortunate cloud. <laughs> the yeah. fortunate cloud. Uh you know, like I imagine, you know, like a like a StarCraft 2 battle cruiser, right? <laughs> just like blowing out of the atmosphere looking for the dock and just hitting dirt. In you know, blazing its way through like a medieval town. Right, because there's and, supposed to be a dock. They left when this ship left. Yeah. We were a space going people. Yeah, we had mm-hmm. we had docks up there or down here, and you would just dock, and they came back, and it's kings again. What happened? <laughs> and again, it means that he left Earth in another time, right? So is he like doing the classic, like, oh, you've cryo sleeped your way through thousands of years of history type vibe? I, you know, I that he's a robot. Light travel, you know what I mean? Yeah, just yeah, like yeah, time yeah. dilation right. and stuff yeah, like time that. Time dilation stuff, yeah. Um, I I am going to to mark this out right now, right here, and say that. Earth of the New Sun gives us a pat and clear answer for mm. this mm-hmm. that I find so disappointing <laughs> that it actively makes the rest of the books worse. Um, again, we're going to be reading that book, but I truly dislike it, like in, in a at a deep personal level. And mm-hmm. so I know that people. I'm saying that to say that right. people have an explanation for this, and right. there's a canonical one to it, and it is one that I actively reject. And so I am not elaborating it here we assert the dubiousness of its canonicity yes homestuck taught us well wow okay (laughs) love this Uh, i've not read it but very very excited to have this experience (laughs) even though you're telling me it's a bad one (laughs) but but yeah so you'll uh we'll run into like some actual discussion of this later on in these books um Mm -hmm. But I, I think they diminish what what is really open here like we don't know right is he kind of just like uh you know a charlton heston you know what i mean Right. No, 100%. That's what I think he is. I think he's yeah. a Charlton Heston, the character, not the person. I think he's a, I think he's a whatever Charlton <laughs> right. Heston's Planet of the mm-hmm. Apes guy is. You're going to pry this Mary chip from my cold dead hands. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, but that's what also I think that something happens to him here between the claw touching him, between being electrocuted, between receiving several beatings all in a row. Right. You know, because that that does happen. Something happens here, I think, that 
I don't know, unlocks something that's going on because he is there. There's something going on here where they crashed in the ship. He tells us, you know, they crashed in the ship. There wasn't enough parts to repair him as like a robot guy. And so he needed to get biological material. And I think that that, that part of him, the, the biological part, this human part, right. and he says that they just, they just got the biological material from some guy they killed when they crashed into him. I mean, you know, they're, they're laying waste to people on the ground on accident. I think that, like, that's part of Jonas. And, I, you know, he says explicitly that, that um, uh, well, Jolenta is the first time he fell in love with a woman, right? There, there's some humanness that comes or, or desire or way of interacting and easiness or something else or something that is not robot man, stereotypical mm-hmm. robot man, something that comes with it that I think that Jonas maybe is unaware of um, or is, you know, that these two pieces of him are kind of separated from one another and they collapse into each other in this three chapters or so that mm. we get. I, I, I don't know if Jonas is a coherent person, until all of this starts happening. And I think that actually if, you know, if what the claw does is heal people, I think that it, it is bringing parts of Jonas that were not at the surface right. to the surface. He's awake mm-hmm. now, as he says, which might be worse right. than being mad. Right. Right. And I take that, I take that literally, right? Like there, there's something happening here, which, which, you know, unites maybe the kind of, I'm a sailor among the stars stuff that's happening beforehand. And like, I remember Korea stuff that is happening here now, right? right. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I was a boy. Um, so I don't know. You know, I, it's deeply ambiguous. I don't have answers here. I'm not, and you know, listener and 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 fellow reader, do not take what I'm saying here to be like a definitive read on the thing. I truly don't know, but I do think it is. It's more than Jonas didn't just tell us about these things before, right? Yeah, and he's doing more than wearing the skin of one of the other people who died in the crash. He's exactly. He's, perhaps wearing the brain or some member. I mean, again, this is the, the, the joy of this reading is that we then get this double uh, hit of the Thecla Alzabo that, that Jonas thinks he's dodged, but actually had already consumed his Alzabo when he became right. the, the, the person he is currently. Right. The second fun thing to think of is what if the, all of the sailor sayings that uh, he has are not from the the human parts, the biological parts, but were programmed into his robot body, and everyone on the sailor ship on this on the ship hated them, and he was just like the <laughs> annoying robot who always said these weird sayings that had gotten programmed into him. He was truly the C three PO of the crew. He was, or like, or like, um, or like, uh, what's the guy from Fallout New Vegas? What's the what are the, what's the robot who helps you? Uh, you yes, go ma'am. Down, He's a yes man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He has that sort of cheery, you know, vibe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he's a little bit of, uh, you know, like Hitchhiker's Guide robot too. Right. right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is like in the mix here. Um, but yeah, so he's having all of these kind of, of bad times. Uh, and at the same time that this has happened, Severian is going to sleep and dreaming dreams as Thecla. And according to the little girl who's like following them around and talking to them all the time, Thecla is showing up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, don't like it. Who who doesn't like it? I don't. I don't like is it. Scary. It's scary. <laughs> Trying to find the exact. Well, he does way say he's like a ghost in, in his head, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, I think it opens up. 
and, and we'll have more to say about this later. I'm sure that there are people who are like banging on the desk being like, why are you not playing this out to its, you know, it's complete uh, conceptual end, right? Because there are some really fascinating ways of engaging with this around um, what, what does it mean to have multiple people inside of you? What does it mean to be a woman part of the time and, right. uh, I mean, you know, a 17 year old boy the rest of the time, right? Like, I think there are interesting ideas and ways of running with that. One, the book will do some of that, so we'll have to talk about it when we get there, and it's probably better to save it for the moments where it shows up. The other side, Gene Wolfe is not as complicated about this as you might want him to be, right? right? Uh, this, for him, I think is very much a um, uh, almost a theological exercise, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, what does it mean to have the thing that you worship inside of you? Yeah. Uh, what does it mean to have your desires inside of you to carry to, to carry it with you as a kind of uh, figure? This is very much like the way that some medieval saints talked about other medieval saints, mm -hmm. right? Like, mm -hmm. as being into them, inside of them, as speaking to them, um, as engaging them bodily uh, and conceptually, you know, like... Um, uh, Teresa of Avila talked about this kind of thing quite often in her relationship with God and, and things like that. Um, and so I, Gene Wolfe is pulling on an interesting thing around embodiedness, um, gender, what are the implications of it here? But it is a different trajectory, I would say, than the one that we are probably most familiar with today. And so it's not going to go in the most interesting places it could, right? Right. I think like, you still do some of these readings, and I think that we will course, do that as yeah. we go forward. This yeah. is part of why I said in the first episode of this, hey, let's talk. Let's think about gender as we move forward, um, because yeah. Yeah. it's it's here. But I think you're right that the stuff that I've read, we don't get the. If you were setting out, if you listener thought of this concept, what if the seventeen-year-old boy uh, joined his mind with the tall woman he was in love with, and also maybe killed? or helped kill or let kill herself and didn't save uh, to the degree that he was guilty about it for years that followed, uh, you might write a different story than, than mm -hmm. what Gene yeah. Wolfe would write. Yeah. Which is really caught up in religious iconography and a mode of storytelling that is medieval in nature, medieval Catholic in nature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sort of the counterpoint to this is uh, everything that's going on with Jonas and in particular uh, his adoration of Jolenta because we already we talked yeah. about Jonas quite a bit. I actually think we didn't mention maybe we did it once in the previous episode uh, where that was the first time where Jonas like turns to Severian and is like, by the way, that Jolinta woman, I'm in love with her forever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just very matter of factly. Uh, and so now that we know a little bit more about Jonas, that casts a new light on uh, his his dedication to her because uh, we were you, you've already been talking about. You know, there were these kinds of maybe there are these two uh, kind of aspects of Jonas uh, and now the claw has been used to, quote unquote, heal him. Uh, but what parts is it healing or does healing here suggest uh, a, a pulling together, a, a conciliation, let us say, <laughs> of uh -oh. uh, two distinct modes of being of the machine and of the human? Uh you know, what, what's going on there? And then what does it mean that uh, Jonas, this particular character who embodies both of these things, has been, uh, in some way at least, awakened or uh, uh, provoked, right, uh, on his little leg of this journey by Jolenta, who, by all accounts, is and appears human, but we can tell is like a, a modified human in some way. She's got some sort of art artifice about her, some kind of glamour. She herself is, is you know, divided. Like, she is not mm. all that she appears to be. 
Who is yeah. in this in this damn book? Ain't <laughs> no one turn. I just want a regular guy. I thought Jonas is my regular guy. Turns out he's a robot. I see a regular, regular, just a just a person. You know what I mean? Trying to get through the day, pay their taxes, trying to find what the where's the near hamburger? I want a hamburger. You know what I mean? I want a hamburger I mean, guy. We do get that guy. His name's Odolo. Yeah. Oh, you're right. You're, you <laughs> He's just some guy. dude. He is just some dude. That guy. That guy's good. He's the guy with the keychain. You know what I mean? Yeah. We all know that guy. Know. Just the dude with a bunch of keys. <laughs> Who can help you out? Every friend group has one of these. <laughs> yeah, every friend, every friend group's got a guy with a bunch of keys. That uh, knows where the closet is. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, but yeah, so um, using Thecla memory um, and uh, <laughs> in the middle here, there is a big like slime monster that comes around and like maybe stuns um, uh Jonas, like yeah. while he's sitting against the wall, unclear about what's actually happening there. It's really just like a one-off scary thing, which I I, I also like. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, anyway, finds the door. They leave. You skip. Um, you are we just are you purposefully doing this thing that you're doing, where you're skipping a whole chapter, or are you? What are we skipping? What happened? It, Jonas is sick, and Severian has the cure, and the cure is a little story. <laughs> I gotta uh, read for you from yeah. the book, from the little brown book. Uh, you're right. He does read from the book. We maybe I'm purposely <laughs> skipping it because I find do you it to not be a love huge the waste tale of, time. of the student and his son. I do. Okay. Can I make me, a prediction? I, I, Can I make a prediction about what you feel? Which yeah. is that this is such a. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about this about you, but I suspect. This is the counterexample to the thing that we say all the time, which is stop trying to solve the book because it's so pun laden and so caught up in particular historical and and mythological references that it suggests that it's a big pun waiting to be solved. And if you solve it, you get extra like you get the like the frisson of knowing where the references are from, that it serves as a sort of counter to our general mode of reading. That that uh, that's not the, that does not exhaust why. Do you also just that, think it's boring? I think it's boring. Yeah. I think it's extremely boring. And uh, <laughs> honestly, cards on the table. It is Gene Wolfe, as as Michael, as you alluded to at the beginning of the episode. He's having too much fun. <laughs> like it's so fucking boring because it is like, what if we could collapse? All of the stories we wanted to into one thing. It reads like bad Ray Bradbury. That that's actually Damn. my feeling about it. Get him. It reads like what Ray Bradbury does and what Gene Wolfe does all the time, but like the most tossed off version. So that's the that is the first the, the, the kind of primary reason I don't like it. And that it is designed to be solved and it is designed to play where's Waldo with the references. Yeah, yeah. And I don't find that particularly interesting. And look, that has to do with me and my um, historical position almost entirely, and I'm sure that like my temperament as well. But uh, Neil Gaiman, uh, you know, crashed this boat into the iceberg that is popular culture, right? Like this is Neil Gaiman's entire career in mm-hmm. one thing, and I've read all those books. And so when I, yeah. unfortunately, you know, I go back to read Gene Wolfe, and I'm like, all right, well, here's where, where Neil Gaiman took it all from, right? Like this clever melange making of reference to myth and mystery and all this kind of stuff. So that's that is the first one. The second one is that this story is a synecdoche for uh, the the book of the new sun itself, and we can't really that makes sense. we cannot actually talk about it extensively without at this point. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not actually trying to skip it, but I, let me just not things finished. Let me give you the short version of it for people who are listening but not reading. Yeah, please. Which please. is uh, there's a, there's a, a town where there's a bunch of uh, people. And there's kind of there's kind of like three categories of people, even though I guess there's four categories of people, though what they talk about really is there's only two. Uh, there are the the old powerful wizards. There are the people who can't become wizards, and so they leave and go become exiles. There's the young men. And then there's the women who get sacrificed every year. <laughs> and where do yep. they get sacrificed to? They get sacrificed to an ogre, a strange ogre. They get put on a ship and shipped out to the ogre. Uh, and... Uh, our hero, a young man who is a student who isn't quite yet the magician that, that can stay in the, the city, um, uh, gets an extension on on his senior thesis. And uh, his senior thesis is, is his, his advisor tells him, just go make a guy. You know how you can just make a guy with your magic? Go make a guy. If you make a guy, then then you pass and you can stick in, uh, stick around in the town and be one of our, our our mages who wear the cool, it's like a many-colored robe or a, or something like that. Is that, is that mm-hmm. am I misremembering Some sort of technicolor that? dream coat. Some sort of technicolor yeah. dream coat. Uh-huh. Yeah, the references come come fast and furious, truly. <laughs> um and so he makes a guy, and and he makes a guy um, uh, who he doesn't even. It's like he's like making him, and like before he knows it, the guy is in the room with him. His his makes his it out creation. of his dreams. This makes it important. out of his dreams. Yeah, hundred yeah, uh, percent. This is of course a Borges story, also uh-huh. uh, circular ruins. Um, and uh, he sends this 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 or this boy gets it in his head. He's like, "What's up with all these? Why do all the hot ladies in our town have to get on a boat every year?" Uh, and his student says, "Oh well, you know." This town has has a law and a curse. The law is, you know, you got to become one of the, the the many colored dream coat wizards, or you got to go out into the friendless world. And and also, by the way, the curse is that all the women get eaten by the ogre. And the the son, the dream son, says that doesn't sound good. I'm going to go save those corn maidens. They're called corn maidens, you see, because they wear green and they have blonde hair. Uh, and also, corn is you know, there's. So he goes. I'm going to go save the corn maidens. And so he goes out, uh, this dream flesh boy, and uh, uh, goes out to explore with a bunch of people. We're getting another, we're getting Theseus here, right? Theseus, Theseus pun. And he gets on the boat, and he goes and he meets the the daughter of of Night and of the Ogre, uh, and is like, "Tell me about what hap- what what's your deal?" And she's like, "Okay, here are the ways." That you can kill my dad, who, by the way, is a. Is it, did we get his actual name? What's his? Is his actual name? We don't, don't actually we get, the, get name. the name, right? This pun yeah. is not in the actual text. It's just a metatextual pun. That yeah. what we're getting is the story of the Minotaur, but that also it's it's like um, it's a reference to the the Civil War, the Battle the, of Hampton Roads between uh, the Monitor and the Merrimack. <sighs> Cameron's right. This sucks. I've, I've, yeah. I hate it. I, uh, I just, I, it's, it's so. Okay. I do like the idea of it. the ogre. If you think about the ogre. <laughs> yeah, me too. It Every image is good. It so, is the, it is literally the plot that is right. Bad. So the, mm-hmm. the, the dream son <laughs> meets this princess who is the son, uh, or sorry, who's the daughter of the, the, this ogre who is from the neck up or the shoulders up a boat like a big metal boat, so big that it's almost like an island uh, that has a cannon where its eye, with one singular cyclopean eye should be, um, and and otherwise walks around the 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 rivers. And this is like a, uh, you know, it's it's a, a, a almost like a vein system of rivers crisscrossing, um, uh, you know, inlets and stuff. 
And so the dream son learns how to kill the 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 Minotaur effectively from this girl, uh, this princess. So she tells him, "Oh, follow, find him by following the dark water. Don't ignore, ignore the clear water. When you get there, you know, burn all the tar that you would use to to uh, seal any any hole breaches, and then you'll be able to maybe win the fight. And then here's how you can get. Here's how you can come home. And they do it, um, uh, sort of, kind of. The, the they burn the tar. It blinds the Minotaur. He kills the guy. They get lost on the way back because they can't quite." do the thing that they were supposed to do to find their way back. And at the very, very end, the the Minotaur, the Dream Sun's boat is coming coming back with a black flag uh, uh, raised. And the student who made him his father, you know, uh, immediately sees the black flag and thinking that it means the student has, or the, the Dream Sun has died, throws himself from the, the top of the tower, uh, which again is just a Theseus reference. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one that the Severian doesn't get because he doesn't know the story of Theseus, and also he doesn't understand that black is a funerary color for the reasons I've already established. Mm-hmm. The end. Yeah, and I want to be clear here too. I don't. Th- this is not a feeling. The feeling I have about this story is not one because, like, there are people who are just are, are vibrating in anger about my my displeasure <laughs> with the story right now. Um, I don't feel this way about all of these. Like, I actually, because this is going to come up again, perhaps that is not a shocker, that there will be more little stories like this that come up throughout the rest of the books. I I don't feel that way about all of them. It is this one specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, you know, especially living in the year 2023, I read this and I just think Mike Mignola would have done this, this so much better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and obviously. I mean, that has a benefit. Right. Yeah. Right. The benefit of history or whatever. Right. But like, I've just lived through uh, reading all of Hellboy and BPRD, and I'm just like, yeah. I, oh, I, I think the benefit I, is you'd get Mike Mignola. Like, that would look sick. You know yeah, what I drawing mean? Drawing this ogre. Oh, oh yeah, it would also look sick. Yeah, that is also true. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, I there we will return to this when we finish the books. Uh, um, here is a thing like, here's what we can say about it now, or here's a thing that I'm willing to say about it now, I yeah, guess, please. Cameron, you can veto my, uh, uh framing no, of this, yeah. but if we think about that, like, so obviously we have this like long, like fairy tale story with all these references we can piece out like, oh, this is being pulled from American civil war history. This is being pulled from Greek mythology, mm-hmm. uh, so on and so forth. Um, the, the thing that I think maybe we should flag right now in terms of like, why is this story here? Like, what is it doing? Um, is that it is ultimately another story about telling a story or about mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. to be more more specific, like creating a story. And yeah. uh, so we have this student who is our protagonist and then he just drops out entirely as the thing that he created steps in and becomes kind of the main mover of the plot. But mm-hmm. ultimately, at the end, uh, this thing that he labored over, right, this this thing that the student made that, uh, as Austin said, is kind of playing on this pun of uh, like doctoral thesis uh, versus like Theseus, the hero, uh, this thing that he worked to make kills him right this thing that he worked to create that he made out of his dreams destroyed him uh ultimately and not in like a necessarily deserved way but because of a misapprehension right the Mm. the the thing that you make the artifice that you create slips out from underneath you and then like snaps you up in its jaws yeah uh uh, yeah it is a i think we should pay attention to uh things going forward where 
you know, essentially Christian subcreation happens. Well, we can we will talk about that at some point later. You know, there's a very particular kind of theological idea, but subcreation is all over this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, you know, the other thing which I think is really funny is that Severian. I don't know if he even says this, but it, it's like pretty clear, even if he doesn't, that. He looks at the book and he's like, "What would Jonas like?" Yeah, hundred percent. A story about sailors. Yeah, it's a sailor. Yes. It's it's again. This is me re- realizing on this read through. It's like, oh, there's like a Jason of the Argonauts thing going on with, with Jonas. Yeah. And here, here we go. Here's Theseus, you know, going off to to explore the world and fight the Minotaur. You know. Yeah, and the thing that Jonas gets hung up on after this, you know, because he's listening to the story, and afterwards he's like, "You don't even understand the story." <laughs> he's right. <laughs> like he is so disappointed. He's like. It you've you flipped the you know the story, um, because it it gets the the Theseus um, ending backwards basically, yeah. uh, and he's like our our stories aren't even the same you know he's like so distraught by that. Have you said your fill about the story that I wanted to ignore? Yeah, I just want to make sure people knew we didn't like turn the pages so rapidly <laughs> that we missed a chapter. I don't feel any sort of way about it. Okay, good. I just good. moved through the world uh, apprehending it as, as it appears in front of me. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and remembering it all. And remembering <laughs> it all. I have no qu- Yeah, uh-huh. You, as, you, they, as you could tell from my perfect recall of every detail of that story I just told you. Right. Uh, the uh, They go through the door. They go through the hidden door. Uh, Jonas and uh, Severian do. The little girl they've been talking to the whole time, she apparently does as well. Severian <laughs> says following that. following yeah, apparently Severian says like he sees her several times afterward, like in his autarkness, and she's like living on stolen food and stuff, which is rad. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that ending for her. Yeah, me too. I like that she got out. Mm-hmm. She was a little curious girl, and she got to leave. Now she she's hasn't still had in- a lifetime of of being like you know enculturated to believe that you can't leave. She's a little yeah. girl. She doesn't know yet. She doesn't know, although she still is in the house absolute. That so is, is that better or worse is a that big a question point. mark. Um, they end up in like a teleporter room. Mm-hmm. They end up in a room. Oh, yeah. And Jonas immediately recognizes like what's up. Um, and it's Father Aniri's mirrors. All know? time banger line. Uh, and, and the way it landed for me, I'm reading the ebook, and the page turn for me was... Jonas shook his head. Don't you understand? I will come back for her, Jolenta, when I've been repaired, when I am sane and whole. Then he stepped into the circle of panels and brilliant light kindled in the air above his head. Page turn. How foolish to call them mirrors. (laughs) Bang. (laughs) Top tier. Incredible. How foolish to call them mirrors is so good. They are to mirrors as the enveloping firmament is to a child's balloon. They reflect light indeed, but that, I think, is no part of their true function. They reflect reality, the metaphysical substance that underlies the material world. Jonas closed the circle and moved to its center. For perhaps the time of the briefest prayer, something of wires and flashing, metallic dust danced above the tops of the panels before all was gone and I was alone. I miss Jonas. There you go. Immediately. Immediately you're missing Jonas. I miss Jonas. Mm-hmm. Well, it's such an incredible way for this character to bow out. Like, <laughs> we rules. were we were imprisoned. We got out of prison. The dude was immediately like, aha, teleportation technology. Later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, there's also like this really great double whammy of of uh, like the last two pages, 322 and 323 for me. But <laughs> Severian is immediately like, oh, he's a robot, man. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Oh, oh, of course he's a robot. And Jonas immediately teleports away. <laughs> uh they, but yeah, there's that, and then there's also <laughs> the bit where Severian's like, "Oh, that's why you're able to be my friend, even though I'm a torturer. You're just a robot. You don't understand that I suck as a torturer." And Jonas is like, "You're not that worse. You're not that much worse than everybody else around here." Okay, you know, I'm all. I've been around of a, a bunch of humans. I had to be a human. Trust me. You're not that bad. <laughs> um, here, let me. He did not appear because he's saying, "Hey, we got to go. I got to go find Terminus Est." Right. Like my I letter need of introduction. To find my sword. I need. Well, he needs a sword, but he also needs his letter. Like that. He's <laughs> yeah. like, this is the most forward-thinking this this kid has ever been. Right. He's like, oh shit. If I don't have that letter, I'm like really screwed. Um. Says, uh, this is Jonas. He did not appear to have heard. I know where we are he said, and raised one arm stiffly to point towards something I had taken to be a folding screen. I was delighted to hear his voice, and largely in the hope that he would speak again, I asked, where are we then? On Earth, he answered, and strode across the room to the folded panels. Their backs were set with clustered diamonds, as I now saw, and enameled with such twisted signs as had been seen on the door. Yet these signs were no stranger than the actions of my friend Jonas when he threw the panels open. The rigidity I'd remarked in him only a moment before was gone, yet he had not returned to his old self. So there's like really something waking up in Jonas, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, in this very specific moment. But yeah, what what do you make of, because people read this in radically different ways, but oh, I really? know where we are. Where are we then on earth? What do y'all make of that? What I'd said before is probably where I'm at, right? Which is that, like, he'd been uh, uh, confused after being hurt and then resurrected or being healed, rather, by the claw. Um, but, yeah, I guess maybe you could read it. You could read it in other ways that he didn't know. He didn't. But he knew that they were coming back. So is there a reading right. here so where you, it's that, like. That, that is the ambiguity there, yeah, right? And, yeah. And some people have a very strong linear reading of this that. He, this is this is his like seeing the Statue of Liberty, you know, kind of right, right. moment. Right? But he knows they were coming back to land on Earth. I guess he could have thought we were coming back to land on Earth, but we landed at the wrong. We this wasn't Earth. We must have made a mistake when we mm-hmm. warped in. We warped to some other backwards world, you know? Yeah, because mm-hmm. the drop ceiling really freaks him out too. Yeah, and, you know, this is something that you know I've been reading about since I learned about these books, right? And like yeah. reading forum threads, like this. I've read this evidence compounded ten times. Uh, and it's always the same passages everyone points to, and but but yeah, I, I, I mean, kind of like the idea were, that he right? thought that they had warped to the wrong place and crash landed, and was like, "I'm on some weird fucked up medieval planet. I'm from the I'm from the uh, hard to be a god planet uh, over here." And uh, right. and actually, in in seeing the drop ceiling, in meeting the people who have the same names uh, as as the people in his childhood or in the the childhood of the the other part of him or whatever. Um, him realizing, oh my God, this is Earth. That's kind of fun. Hmm. It is fun. Uh, Michael, do you have an opinion or a read on any of this? Or I mean, I always took it to mean uh, uh, we're on Earth and I need to get off of Earth. Oh, like, I'm not supposed oh, to. We're be on here. Earth, and yeah. I gotta get. I gotta use these mirrors to get somewhere somewhere else. Yes, right. Oh, that's like, fun. The, 
Right. That Jonas is aware that he he is on Earth and has been on Earth. But of course, he's like having whatever is going on with him. And so he's a little bit nonlinear in how he's talking. But this moment of like, I know where we are now, meaning actually I know where I have to go, which is not here. Right. 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 Damn. They got to get to Verthondi. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Where they've got robot parts. <laughs> yeah, but it, you know, it, it's also this. I I do wonder if Jonas is kind of meant here to be a little bit of a negative case. Um, if that if that I think that's a very compelling read, Michael. Like that, mm-hmm. like one of escape. And, but I do wonder because I don't think the way that the book is set up so far. I like Jonas is not damaged. You know, he's not not whole. He's not not a, he's not a robot entirely, right? He's a cyborg uh-huh. at this point, mm-hmm. but he's like a full person. You know what I mean? Like he's a regular. He's that guy. He's well, our he's dude. saying he's not. I, that's what I'm saying, right? And I do wonder if him saying that is meant to be taken as a negative case that he has not reckoned because Severian mm-hmm. is able to take these mm. two parts of what are now two parts of himself, right? Him and herself, and make them work together coherently. Mm-hmm. As part of a, a thing, right? Um, it, to be a whole person. And Jonas can't, right. or is unwilling to. Right. Can't, unwilling to, you know, who knows? Jonas can't do, reconcile these two parts of himself. Well, and and right. notably- He has a fallen part, you know, this human part. Sorry, oh, oh, I was gonna say, and notably, like before this, uh, during the resurrection question mark of the Ulan, uh, uh, Jonas is very hardcore saying that's not what happened, right? He says, mm-hmm. like, I, yeah. I have been around a long time and the dead do not get up again. The right. dead do not walk. right. right. Like there's no mystery, you know, like capital M mystery, right? There, there is no um, ambiguity for for Jonas, right? He can either be whole or he can be complete and repaired or broken. Um, people are alive or dead. Um, he, he's an easygoing guy, but you know, I, I do, I, I don't know. I just this reading of it and sitting and thinking about kind of Jonas's arc. And the way he goes, I do wonder if he's meant to be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he is devoted to Jolenta, right? A, a figure of mm-hmm. artifice, which we don't know much mm-hmm. about. But like, mm-hmm. just if you scope out and think about like, what is this guy's obsession? It's this woman who's an illusion. Right. And also. And also it's the first she's woman. Pitted to, yeah, the first woman. They, uh, really a book full of guys who fall in love with the first woman they meet. But, right, but well, no, uh, I don't think it's the first woman yeah. he's met, right? Because he says he says it's the first woman I've loved since the, the people have scattered, since our crew first right. scattered. He's run right. into other women, uh, but the first one to move him is the one who has been artificially, uh, yeah. uh, you know, created in the shape that she's now in. You know, he, yeah. he, he'd run into women like Agia all day. You know, I mean, yeah. I don't think there's any other women really like Aggie in the heart of it. Um, <laughs> right. But but uh, but you know what I mean. And and it was yeah. only the one who is, as Michael's pointing out, the one who is the the source or the site of artifice that right. moves him. Uh, also, a being of artifice. And and I do think that there's this. Um, you know, we're gonna see more about this. Michael, is it before the end of this book where we see the Jolenta plotline play all the way out? Uh, it is. It is. Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, because yeah, yeah, you finished. Yeah. I finished this book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not recently, um, but a oh, year ago or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
So, well, in the next reading, in the next episode, we'll talk about this, right? But, you know, we've already noted the kind of thing that's going on where Dorcas gets to be the, you know, saintly good. She's even child. She has glimpsed for one second. <laughs> and she so is like childlike up. and innocent in this this reading, right? I don't know how he's like, she was even more childlike than ever before. Right. Stop it. Yeah. Right. And and then Jolenta is by, you know, if there's a Madonna whore thing going on here, right? Uh, Jolenta is the negative case, right? It enhanced, beautiful, um, but less going on there. And the Madonna whore mechanism, right, is very much tied into Catholic theology, in fact. It, mm-hmm. it originates partially from there, at least in the tradition that we receive it. There's this little book uh, called the Bible. And yeah, there, there, there's this little... This and there is a very important Madonna. Madonna and a very important whore. <laughs> Right, right. So, you know what I mean? Like the terminology, uh, you know, it's more extensive than that. But, you know, that it is the way that we have received it, uh, certainly in in our culture. Um, But, you know, we have that that thing going on here. And so uh, the thing that I love the most, one of the things I like the most about these books, I'm realizing in this moment is, let's say you're right. Jonas is meant to be to be in the negative here, like in the sense that he believes in a in a world without miracles, right? He believes mm-hmm. the living are living, the dead are dead. Uh, there are no there are no cases for for that to switch. He's constantly giving you the sort of um, again the sailor's wisdom, right? The sort of mm-hmm. not quite cynical, uh, but but grounded. He's a grounded position mm-hmm. or perspective. He's the one who's who's you know always on the lookout for a trap or for someone to jump them. He's the one who's trying to keep Severian's you know uh, head cool. And keep him grounded. Um, mm-hmm. I, Wolf renders this character so well, and so so um, he's a charming dude. And this isn't the first time he's done it. If you go back to Agi and Agilis, the 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 scene where Agilis is explaining to Severian the like. It's not fair, man. You came into the shop with this sword. You didn't even know what yeah. you had. <laughs> again and again, he he renders these fallen people, right, who can't, who don't believe the world works like miracles. That, like, you're not, this isn't one of those stories from the little brown book, Samarian. This is a regular, regular place. This is a place of just people trying to get through the, the world. And we have mm-hmm. some strategies for how to do that. And sometimes that yeah. strategy is scamming people, and sometimes it's pretending to eat so no one notices you're a robot. Well, um, you, and the, our, uh, perhaps the example of that we've gone for the most, even though we didn't talk about it in these terms, is uh, Severian's cool uncle, right? Right, yes. Someone who, who uh, you know, in in Severian's eyes, diminished himself because he thought he needed to right. uh, in order to operate in the world right. and, and, and suffered for it. And right? I so, think that the fact that we now know miracles are happening and like there's different types of mirror, like the mirrors feel miraculous in some mm-hmm. ways, but not for Jonas. For Jonas, they're like, ah, the teleport, the, it's a teleportator. They're the teleportator, Jesus, the <laughs> teleporter. <laughs> no, I'm going to say the teleportator. Yeah, teleportator. Yeah, I'm going to own it. It's uh, like a science fiction thing. It's a, <laughs> yeah. it's a previous word that is better. Exactly. Um, uh, but he's like, okay, that's just a regular thing. The claw is magic and can't exist and you do the things you think it does. That's fake. Um, and I think there's something really uh, – I actually think there's something deeply Catholic about this being the thing that Wolf wants to, to create is the world where there are lots of regular people who convincingly tell you the world doesn't work like miracles, Severian. And, mm-hmm. and they're likable in saying that. They feel more like you, the reader, in saying the world doesn't mm-hmm. work the way you keep thinking it works, Severian. And then also, in that same moment, miracle is happening. 
Uh, and, and I think that that's, that to me is a very core thing to, that we keep coming back to. And I think going forward, we will continue to this very mundane, very grounded and regular person next to Severian, the special boy who seems mm-hmm. to keep stumbling from miracle to miracle, the most Catholic thing there is. Well, and, and also that to tie this back into what, what we were just talking about too, that I think that that exact, Hmm. I don't know, like workaday banality shrouded by miracle. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yep. I, like you said, it's a very Catholic way of thinking the world, right? You know, saints are real. Yep. Miracles happen. They're just pretty rare. Yep. <laughs> you know, like, and you probably won't ever see one. But also, we canonize people, so they must still be happening. Um, you know that 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 is, I think, where the book, you know, kind of runs into the rocks of the shore quite often particularly in what we're about to read with Dorcas and Jolenta, um, where there is a theological and conceptual point or, or a, a piece of interest, a shiny thing that Wolf is really interested in getting at and thinking through, um, and then ends up ignoring the framework it exists within, right? Like, we're going to get full blasted in the face with Madonna Whore, um, and Madonna Whore as a, like, Ethics of existence, right. almost, right. Um, and so I, and I, so that's why I'm, you know, kind of connecting up before. I do think Jonas being interested in Jolinta as a kind of augmented person, like he is, is fascinating. I think that calls his character up together. But we are also going to learn. This is not really spoilers, I don't think, but we're going to learn that Jolinta's willingness to give over to that um, was negative. Right. Um, And she has given agency in the way that lots of people are given agency in this book to make choices about themselves. We've talked about it extensively over the course of this episode, right? Individual choice, and and there's a freedom of choice within structure that Severian as a narrator really holds on to. I think when we think through that question with Jolenta, it makes either... And, and, you know, people read this different ways. You can make your own determination. You yourself as a reader have free will. You either have to make choices about how Severian sees the world or you need to make choices about how Gene Wolf is drawing the parameters under which we see the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be one of the very, the first places where we're going to start having some big questions about what is Book of the New Sun about? Um, and, and thinking of Jonas not just in our, like, positive bro who's going to go off and come back after he's saved himself and save us all – If we think about him as a slightly more negative case, I think that sets us up for some of those thoughts later on Mm -hmm. to at least entertain them. I'm not, I'm not pitching anyone on anything, but I think it is worth considering. What if our cool bro is in fact not cool enough uh, to live in Severian's world? Right. Uh, It's it's just worth saying briefly that like on the notion of the radical free will and the sort of existentialist position that we talked about before, um, as always, these things can break a couple of different ways. And uh, you can take that perception, the one that is, hey, you know, actually we can do whatever we want, uh, but we live in a world of structures that help shape what our experience of possibility, right? Uh, and you can you can make that be a catalyst for you thinking a lot about the structures that help shape our possibilities uh, and and which try to limit us in different ways. Or you can simply shrug that part off and say, well, you're a free individual. And so fundamentally, the responsibility and, uh, and outcomes that you face 
lay at your feet and your feet alone. Um, uh, and you, you know, uh, I think there are people in this book that break different ways on that. Um, and so again, I'd say keep that in mind as we go forward. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, any big thoughts about any of this stuff? Uh, really fun scene where they're looking for Heathor's little friend. What's his name? Bezoar or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Bezoar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, no, music, music, yeah. These are the thing where you eat all your hair. Yes, it becomes uh-huh. a stone in your stomach. Right. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, really great scene where like is it uh, Severian like pops up into like a little storage space and he yeah. just sees him like lying there, <laughs> like quiet, like and they like make eye contact and then Severian pops back down through and Odalo is like, "Do you see anything?" And Severian is like, "Nope." <laughs> <laughs> There's uh it's you could hear the laugh track. You know what I uh-huh. mean? Like in the in the sitcom version of this. Uh everyone sees they make eye contact. It's Newman up there, it's Seinfeld and Newman, and Newman's like <laughs> <laughs> This scene is played not om- not identically, but a very similar scene is in I think the second book of uh the Area X trilogy, the Vandermeer book. Sure. Um Wait, and it was just I was reading I was like did, did, did that come from here like what <laughs> what 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 the hell um and you know maybe a guy being in a closet on a on a shelf is just you know um it's it's a real Leibniz and Newton moment you uh-huh. know that's possible to me but this is actually uh, another uh Catskill circuit uh classic <laughs> right. uh you know style but uh yeah the odolo scenes are just great to me where he's like ah you know let's go look in the closet oh they took your sword well did uh where would they have gone let's go look over here right the thing uh, that happens again is like severian puts his mask and cape back on he's like yeah. this way if i run into anybody who's just from the house absolute they'll think of me as a torturer who must have been called here for some business which is where we learn and this is father Nere's like zone because when yeah. odolo sees him uh, he's able to he's able to scam him and be like, uh, yeah, Father Nere uh, really needed me for something, but I need my sword, and they had me hand over my sword, and we learn that the the soldiers here aren't being ordered; they're just doing what they want to do. Yeah, Bad. and you like, and you can't tell them what to do. No, they got, the, just they got the swords. Yeah, yeah. Turn uh, social structure is a wild thing when it gets going, but uh, yeah. And like Odolo helps him out, takes him to the closet, and they find Bezor that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. I do love the the directions. Um, so like he looks in the closet, doesn't find the sword, and he goes ah. And uh, Odolo says, "Would you like to go to the guard room yourself?" Because he's like, "Well, if it's not in the closet, it's probably in the guard room." Uh, and he says, "Would you like to go yourself, or should I rouse one of the boys?" Severian says, "I'll go." He nodded sagaciously. That's best, I think. They might not hand it over to a page or even admit they had it. You're in the hypogeum atropagic, no, uh, apotropaic now. As I suppose you know, if you don't want to be stopped by the patrols, you'd better go indoors, so the best plan would be to go up this stairway or standing under for three flights, then left. Follow the gallery around for about a thousand paces until you come to the hypothrall. With it dark out, you might miss it, so keep an eye out for the plants. Turn right in there and go another 200 paces. There's always a sentry at the door. Like, there's something so funny to me that every time someone in these books gives directions, it's the worst possible. (laughs) Because this happened to him in the library, too. Yeah, the library. Yeah, 100%. And, 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 you know, the curator was like, don't do that. Just go down the stairs and bang on the door until someone opens it. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. don't, you know, there's an easy way and a hard way, and everyone loves the hard way here. Um, 
Which, by I the way, the library uh, in the House Absolute underground. Just, just to mm-hmm. really underscore it, right? House yeah. Absolute, it's under all of us, you know. Yeah, I mean, there is a real and serious question, right? You know, is it? Uh, and it's one I've never resolved. You know, I don't have like a mental model of this, but uh, when uh, was it Master Oltan, the librarian? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when he says it goes all the way to the House Absolute, uh, maybe. Why not? Like, because. Because you don't know when you're in the House Absolute or not. Yeah. It could be that the eight men who live beneath the ground. That's the House Absolute. That could be part. It could. I connect, like to you think know, of what if the House Absolute is is just a layer. It's any. It's a, what if it's a ge, like a geological <laughs> right strata. You know what right. I mean? It is. Um, yeah. It is, making notes for my next door fortress. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's like the Anthropocene. Like it's like it's like that next. It's the previous mm-hmm. layer of existence. Anything yeah. in there is the house absolute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks for joining my new YouTube video. I'm. You'll notice by the title that I'm building the house absolute <laughs> in this episode. The first thing I'm going to do is dig a vault 70 squares down. Let me set the task. I hit page down. I hit page down. I hit page down. <laughs> Can you put drop ceiling in Dwarf Fortress yet? Tarn, can you add drop ceiling to Dwarf <laughs> Fortress thing? Yeah, if you don't mind. That would be cool. Uh, are there uh, man apes in Dwarf Fortress? The got No, no, I don't think so. There's they're definitely probably in Caves of Cut, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, there's gotta be. Um Caves of Cut actually probably has drop ceilings. <laughs> I mean, yeah, definitely. Caves of Cut is Caves of Cut is the game I can't believe I don't play. Um and look at all of my friends who play it. Charles to Wes, uh, uh, and and go like you're living a better life than I am. <laughs> Yours is well. Blessed. At some point, you know, especially in the pivot era of the bonus episodes. True. Uh, we'll just have Jason on. Yeah, sure. To we talk should. about where Jason loves these books. Yeah. Jason Grimblatt, who's uh, one of the writers, the kind of the principal writer, I would say for Kids of Cud. Also, uh, uh, you know, there's a team there, but I think Jason's kind of the core member there, the lead. Um. Yeah, Jason loves these books. We've talked about them many, many times before. Um, and so, uh, and listens to the show. So, hey, yeah, Jason. Yeah, let's do it. Hey, Jason. Uh, but yeah, we should we should def- definitely do a bonus set. Well, we'll just do a bonus episode on Capes of Cut. Yeah. 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 This will force me to play it and have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. We'll play for eight <laughs> Kit hours. Kit Fox is publishing like the 1.0 so they're, they're doing it again. Oh, yeah, that's right. Soon. Soon. Yeah. I've been playing that game since it was like a side project by Brian and Jason posted on the Something Awful forums. Wow. Like 10 years ago. Wow. And I remember when it was abandoned. Um, and I don't remember before Sproggy Wood came out, which was like a kind of a tactics game that they released. Mm-hmm. Before that, I, I was aware of Caves of Cut and I was like, oh, y'all gonna work on this? And they were like, no, we're making a like a little indie game. Um, and then that game came out and I think it did fine or whatever, but they were like, now we're going Caves of Cut. And I was like, yes. Finally. <laughs> and here we are a full decade later. Um, he realizes, Severian, at the very end here, he's looking through the closet. He goes up the stairwell and then lets Odilo pass him, and he goes back down to keep looking around, uh, to keep scrabbling. And he realizes, since this is Father Inure's, uh wing, it's mirrored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it's identical, like side to side. Um, and so he was like, oh, well, if there's a stairwell here, then on the mirrored side, there's also going to be a stairwell. And if there was a closet beneath these stairs, there'll be a closet beneath those stairs. I'm going to go check those out. 
And then that's where we stopped. Gamer logic. It really it's is. It's extreme gamer logic. It's like, all right. Yeah. So uh, the last time I was on the the Ishimura. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know? I was like Final Fantasy games where it's like, oh, I found the stairway that takes me up to the next area, but this is clearly symmetrical. So if I go to the stairwell that's on the other side, I pro- I may be able to find something there, but more likely there's going to be a treasure chest that I can grab before I go back up. I, this is explicitly... Yep. Yep. I was first. I was going to say the the there's a waterfall. There's a chest behind the waterfall. But then you're yeah. right. The actual thing it is is he knows that if he goes forward, the plot is going to advance, and so he's <laughs> better clear out this level of the dungeon first and get all the loot. Yeah, you know he's read the prima the prima strategy guide that said if you go search the other room, you can get your old equipment back before you you hit the cutscene and advance the plot to the next uh, the next level. <laughs> prima strategy guides were real art. Um, I remember finding out that David Brothers, you know, the, like yeah. the extremely talented um, cultural critic, comics critic predominantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. David Brothers, I believe, worked on the Final Fantasy VI. Wow. Prima Strategy Guide. Wow. And at the time, I believe, if I'm wrong here, I, I apologize, but I'm 99% sure that that's true. And like you just mentioned it on Fourth Letter, you know, like 15 years ago. And, uh, you know, speaking of things from uh, truly a lifetime ago. And I just remember being so at the time, and I guess now still, I was like, you know, I love your comics criticism, but my God, you worked on a Final Fantasy Prima Strategy guy? I mean, so this was me uh, about two years ago after I started my job at Possibility Space. Ted Woolsley is the, works at, at the studio I work at. Ted Woolsley Whoa. was the localizer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Woolsleyisms. Yeah, dude. Uh, and I, we like got dinner, you know what I mean? Like I was out, I was out, uh, uh, you know, with the, the cult company at a certain place uh, a couple years ago and like, we just wound up across from each other. So I got a bunch of sick nineties. What was it like to live in Japan and work for square in that era of, of JRPGs of their, of final fantasy? You know, what was it like localizing right. final fantasy six? What was that experience like? And Ted's great. You know, I, I talk to Ted, you know, once a week or whatever, you know, um, uh, so I don't think he would mind me saying this, that it was like a, someone who was very practiced at being asked questions about the things you used to do 20 years ago in games or thir- I guess, almost 30 <laughs> right. years ago now. Um, right. uh, but, but, you know, I hope I didn't come across like an asshole. Again, we get along. I don't think I came across like an asshole. I did my best to have like a thoughtful conversation about it. But do we have great stories? Uh, so, Yeah. That's rad. Cool. Speaking of games right. I want to fucking replay, Final Fantasy VI. Not me. No? You're good? You're done? You've moved yeah. on? Never again. I'm good. Never again. <sighs> yeah. I think it's fine. I'm n- I've just never been big on that one. That's you know right. what I mean? That's right. I came to it so late. I'd already mm-hmm. played seven, eight, nine, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. 10 before I played okay. 6. That makes sense. You know what I mean? And so it's just like, I'm sure that it was like really powerful people for people who would like you know, came into it. It's the same reason I'm just not a huge Zelda fan, right? Like I just sure. came to it so late sure. compared to like everything else that I'd played that it, it didn't really have the same effect. Um, anything else we want to talk about here from this episode before we leave it? Be careful like of not. the wolves in the walls, you know? Yeah, there's wolves in the walls. Seems bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that, uh, is that like an Angela, not Lansbury. Angela, Angela Carter? 
Yeah, is that an angel at Wolves in the Walls? Is that an Angela Carter thing? No, I think that actually might be a thing that Neil Gaiman stole for a title. Oh my god, is that a Neil Gaiman <laughs> yes, thing? Yes, I believe it's one of his children's books. Uh, yes, it's a, uh, his children's book that he wrote and was illustrated by Dave McKean. Oh, uh, that's why I know it. Yeah, I was like a huge Dave McKean person for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I still am. I didn't, I didn't stop becoming, but like I, yeah, I, so I must have read it at some point. Okay, well, uh, Shelved by Genre is uh, hosted by us, of course, but uh, a lot of other people's labor goes into it as well. Jordan Mallory edits these episodes for us um, and is the producer on the show. Thanks so much, Jordan, for doing this. Uh, everything that's good in the show, audio-wise, is Jordan, and everything that is bad is me. Uh, Cinderwell wrote and performed the theme song uh, I would strongly encourage you to go check out Cinderwell's work. Uh, I actually just recently got uh, finally completed my set of Cinderwell uh, vinyl albums. Um, I was missing the most recent one, and I finally got it. So uh, I strongly encourage you to do that. Uh, 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 her older work is referred to, I believe, as uh, oh, uh, Doom Folk, I think was the, the genre label tagged to it. Now she does slightly different things. It's a little bit uh, different sound. But uh, if the words doom folk um, get you excited, you should go listen to the album The Unconscious Echo. Uh, Sam Beck made the podcast art that you see with the little spaceship and the haunted house and everything. And it's excellent. Uh, You can find information about all those people in the description of this episode or on rangetouch.com. Hey, if you like like fantasy stories, you should read Sam Beck's verse, which is... uh a comic that Sam did, and uh, uh, it has some very, very good art throughout it. Let's put on the bonus episodes. That's right. <laughs> I, we'll do about you know, why not? Let's get in there. Um, is there anything anyone wants to plug on the way out the door? Uh, Friends at the Table is like crazy good right now, so people should listen to it. Go listen to Friends at the Table. Uh, you can hear, not hear, you can, uh, yeah, there's no audiobook, I guess. I guess I can make my own audiobook. You should, you should go read my book. Uh, you should go purchase my book. You can get it for $22 uh, on your platform of choice. It's called The World is Born from Zero. It's a book on uh, science fiction and video games and speculation. How do video games think the world as it is not? Um, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it if you listen to the show and enjoy it. We'll be back in two weeks. Uh, with the We're finishing up the, the book. So read through the appendix of... Call the Conciliator. If you enjoy this program, you should go to patreon.com slash ranged touch in order to support the show. We have bonus episodes, uh, and we also have bonus episodes for all the other shows that we do on Range Touch's network, including Just King Things, where we read the works of Stephen King in publication order. Um, Too Much Future, our show on Fallout, is finishing up soon with an episode on Fallout 76. And uh, Game Study Study Buddies and Homestuck Made This World. So we have all kinds of really cool stuff to check out. If you like what we do here, I promise you'll like those other shows as well. We'll be back in two weeks with the next episode of uh, this finishing up Claw the Conciliator. Goodbye. (laughs) Amid these stacks of straight and tall of tomes lined end to end, how are you to find your way? It's shelved by genre, friend. (sighs) 